Atari. Made especially for systems from Atari. The video game that lets you help E.T. get home. Just in time for Christmas. Happy Holidays from Atari. It's Christmas time. Can you believe how it's beginning to look a lot? It's already Christmas. It's um, you know Thanksgiving was pushed aside after Halloween, and uh, <coughs> now we're we're officially in the the uh, the holiday season. What do you think about that? <coughs> I don't know. Right before you started rolling, I got all you got you got clenched. I up. got all uh, I got teary eyed. <laughs> I got all clenched. Uh, this is my favorite season. I love this. Yeah, you know it's it is it's a shame. It's uh, it does like Thanksgiving doesn't exist anymore. No, it's just like it's a, done. It's a pit stop. Yeah, to, you know, I was for walking, sales. I was walking through a store, you know, a week before Thanksgiving, and there's already like Christmas carols going. I was like, yeah. "You wait till next week! <laughs> How dare you!" Everywhere it's and it, this is this, this seems like the first year where it's kind of embraced. People are like, "Yeah, screw it, we're gonna start Christmas early." I mean. Thanksgiving wasn't even over in New York City, and there was already stuff up, and they're playing songs. Like you're saying, you know, freaking Starbucks has got the Christmas songs on and everything, you know. Hey, you know what? I, if you want to drag out the Christmas season, I love that. I'm all for more Christmas. Yeah. But. You know, I mean, I get, some years I get very depressed after Christmas. I'm like, you know, we got to take it all down. It's all over. Because once you hit January, it's like, it's dark out at 3 o'clock. You know what's the cold. worst is March. Remember when you were in school? Like, for me anyway, March was like... It's like it's a full thirty-one days. Yeah, and it's like you just—you just came off the February vacation, yeah, and you still have like Easter still a long way away. Like yeah, spring vacation is still a long way. Remember that concept? And it's still like cold and gets dark. And it's yeah, early. It's like when, and you're sick of the winter by that point, <laughs> you know. And then it drags into April. And it's like, goddamn you, March! You go on forever. The eyes of March, beware. Uh, you remember that the, those days when 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 we had vacations, <laughs> there was oh, like yeah. there was like Christmas vacation. Well, that was, was the thing for like years. That my parent, my like my my dad would be like, you know, you come, you want to come for Christmas? I was like, I don't get, I don't, I don't have winter break anymore. Yeah, you know, like I'm an adult now. <laughs> like yeah. I gotta work. It's a, uh, you know, I guess. Is, yeah, I don't get I don't get two weeks off for Christmas. That must be the allure of being a teacher. Like you, you know, you go to I mean, aside from I guess educating children, uh, you know, you get to, you get to kind of have the same schedule. I mean, I, I'm sure you have to do like work days where you yeah, have to yeah. go in, but a lot of that, like uh, especially like if you're Jewish, those they get they have holidays all over the place. Beginning of the year, they have like yeah, yeah. you know Shomer Shabbos or uh, uh, Bat Mitzvah. Or and, I, and, I work for, and I work freelance, so I don't get like paid vacation. That's true. So if you take it off, if, I don't, if, money. I'm, not, if I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. Yeah, yeah. So I have to, my vacation comes whenever I'm between work. If I have time between work, that's an unplanned vacation. Yeah, I get about, I'm staff, so I get about three weeks vacation. I get about seven sick days. Then you look at Europe. Europe, they get like eight weeks off. You know, it's a ridiculous time. I mean, it's great, but it's just like, oh my gosh. You get, then they have like these things called like, uh, uh, bank holidays, like on a Monday, there'd be a bank holiday, and every they get the three day weekends, and it's amazing. Yeah. And then, 
you know, I was thinking how amazing, how smart, like the day after Thanksgiving, you know, on a Friday, you don't want to go back to work. I had to work. And it's like the, the genius of the English, they devise a holiday right after Christmas called Boxing Day the 26th, so you don't have to go to work the next day. And it's like, yes, that's, that's, that's right. You need to extend that, that time yeah. of, you know, getting yeah. banged up. And also it's freelance in, like, the television industry in post-production. It's... They're just long days, too. A 10-hour day. So you're sitting, sitting in a dark room. It's at least 50-hour weeks. Jeez. I mean, 50, yeah, 50-hour weeks at least. Yeah. And so it's just like... Sitting on your it's keister. The, it's the grind. Yeah. I think you didn't want to go to... We went to film school, so we wouldn't have to work <laughs> a 9-to-5 job in a cubicle. Yeah, now I work a 9-to-7 job in a cubicle. <laughs> in a dark room. And not a cubicle. In a tiny dark room with no windows, yeah. But hey, welcome to another edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. It's Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. Coming to you live. <laughs> to tape. To tape. Live to tape. We're rolling in the mud. <clears throat> We're going. Um, I'm Dion Baya. I'm Jay Blake. We're here. All right. It's a, it's December Saturday. The December Saturday, yeah. I was just explaining the bucket of pizza to somebody. Uh, that the I, other, the other I figured day. out that, that, <laughs> that shows up for anybody uh, that wants to go revisit that whole explanation. That's in the Dirty Harry cast, as you explain the bucket of pizzas. But don't I re-explain it? You re-explain it later on. When it becomes, when we, when it becomes my new radio yeah, system? Yeah, which is like... It's got to be maybe Batman the Warriors, or the next one yeah, after Yeah, around the Warriors, Batman, <clears throat> maybe Halloween. But we premiered it. You explain the, the Tupperware idea. Uh, with the what was it the the candy? Yeah, the cotton, the candy. Bucket. Yeah, from like Costco or uh, or yeah. Sam's Club. That that's in the Dirty Harry cast. <laughs> so if you wanted to know, if you've the, just the origin, if story. you've just started listening, and you're like, who the hell are these people? What is a bucket of pizza? And oh, you're wondering what is a bucket of pizza? Hey, you know, we, it's so cool that we have. I, I don't want to call people fans. We have listeners, and we had some people like send us pictures of their <laughs> versions of bucket of pizza. Of, of pizza in a bucket. And we're like, that's so cool. We're not going to eat it. We just bought the pizza and put it in a bucket to show you. <laughs> no, I'm sure they've eaten it. That's the leftovers. But it's like, you know, I want to see. I guess you can't really send pictures of sleepover stars yeah. on my, my rating system. But who, so you're explaining somebody yeah, a bucket of pizza. I don't even remember how it came up. Just bucket of pizza came up. Then you were just explaining. I was just trying to explain. And bucket of pizza. It was a friend, so I thought they, they would know. It's a friend who and grew I was up like, with well, the I bucket get, of pizza? No, no. Uh-oh. But I was just, I guess you don't listen to the podcast, then do you? <laughs> <laughs> and then their, their response was, you have a podcast? <laughs> get that a lot. <sighs> a podcast? Uh, but yeah, so, bucket of pizza. That's great. Um, and Christmas, Santa's here, you know? Um, did, you do your, did you do your Christmas list? No. I'm gonna... No. I don't know anymore. I know. You're just disillusioned. Uh, you know... How old were you when you realized Santa Claus was... I don't even remember. Yeah, I mean, he's still real in my head, but... Uh... Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he is real. What does he mean, Daddy? It's okay, it's okay. Uh, uh, you know, it's not that it's... it's You know, it's not that uh, I'm disillusioned about anything. It's just uh, as you get older and you don't have kids... Uh, it's harder to... It's just like presents don't... You get to the point where you're like, and especially if you live in an apartment as small as mine is, you're like... It's a shoebox. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't... Thanks. Another thing to take up space in my yeah. apartment. You know, or like something that's just... Cool. So, you know, and when you start making your own money and you have expenses, like, 
we don't want to be buying. You know, we do like stuff. with my dad's side of the family, we do like a Secret Santa kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, it's like you do the Secret Santa kind of thing. So this year, I'm buying something for my dad, and then you get shit for my nephew. Yeah. You know, and then everybody else maybe gets you know just a little something, something, but a little McDonald's coupon <laughs> book. So things. yeah, I mean, I always get my, I always try to get my nephew some cool shit. I'm like, I'm gonna be the uncle that buys him all the cool shit. Yeah, that's and good. I'm gonna show him Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he's way too young. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck him up. Hey, you know, speaking of fucking up, this movie we're doing today really uh, fucked the hell out of me when I was little. Fucked you right up. Uh, you know, there's so many movies that you can just put on a list of fucking you up. You know, um, you think it's hard now for Santa to uh, with the with the with the technology to keep up? You know, because they're not the, the elves aren't really making like wooden. Oh, he had to expand his uh, enterprise for sure. And he I had mean. to go from like analog to digital, <laughs> I would think, right? Yeah, I mean. So do, do the elves have to be like tech savvy now? Are they making like iPads and stuff? I would imagine they must. I mean, they certainly had to make the facility bigger. Of course, yeah, and get rid Plus, of all the... Plus they got a growing population to uh, account for. More yeah. kids. But I guess all There's of them more don't kids really... than there were. But now the, their tastes are more expensive. But he doesn't deliver to the non-Christians, right? I mean, that kind of, he kind of leaves out like the... Jehovah's Witnesses, the Jewish people, the uh, Muslims, uh, whatever other demographic yeah, doesn't believe speak, in. You know, but that doesn't mean there's not more oh, yeah, Christian yeah, yeah, yeah. children. <laughs> for him to deliver to. <laughs> for him to deliver to. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would imagine. GPS, uh, that might, must help him now. You know, he doesn't have to, like, go by put, like, sticking his thumb up in the wind and see which way. He just outsource it all. Oh, you mean just to have a delivery like FedEx? <laughs> yes, like they, they're just doing all the deliveries for him, or, or, uh, or yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that's that's interesting. We'll have to see if we can get an interview with him. See how we what he's what he's doing nowadays with the, uh, you know, I would I would think of him being like a Steve Jobs kind of a guy, you know, and all his, like a red turtleneck. Red yeah, and, turtleneck. and he pre- he previews stuff to them like this is what we're gonna do this year, <laughs> and all the elves are like, fuck yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, I always had the idea that, like, you know, after December 26th, like, he shaves his beard and he, like, goes on then vacation. Yeah, yeah, and then it just grows back in for the year. He shaves once a year. Yeah. December 26th. Yeah. And then, it's all ready to go by yeah. Christmas. And then he goes on holiday. He goes to, like, some hot climate for until, like, New Year's, you know. And all the elves are, like, partying. Like, oof, 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 because it's, like, their time off. Because I guess you think once January 1st hits, they got to get back into, you know, what's the schedule? What's the year plan? What are we doing? How are we doing? How are we exporting? What are the new toys? What are the hot items? And all the stuff they have left over. They have, like, you know, Beanie Babies still from the 90s. What are we going to do with these things? In back inventory. Yeah, because it didn't. I put it on eBay. Yeah. You know, N64s. Shit, we never got rid of these. We never moved these. The Tickle Me Elmos and all that. I don't even know what's hot today. Um, but, uh, yeah, so welcome to an edition of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. It's uh, our uh, it's our second annual Christmas extravaganza starting. Yeah, and, uh, hell, you know, this movie... It's like... We're going with, a, like, an unorthodox choice. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, you know, it's not a direct uh, Christmas movie. Last year, we did... Um, Black Christmas. We did Black and, Christmas, um, and we did... Uh, Ernest Saves Christmas. Ernest Saves Christmas. Thank God Ernest Saved Christmas, because we can do a Christmas <laughs> again this year. You know? If you haven't listened to those, check them out. But yeah. For, first of all, one thing I have to say is that, okay. you know... I uh, got my hands up. <laughs> Is that I think, I personally think that our Black Christmas cast is yeah. one of our best casts. Ever. I listened to it again recently. Declarative statement. Yeah. I think it's, it's good. And yeah. it's one of our least downloaded. 
Is it? So uh, that and that and mind warp. Mind mind warp is probably our least downloaded. No, but that's getting up there though now because we did the Bruce Campbell. Uh, so I would just say if you haven't listened to the Black Christmas cast, and uh, you have any kind of uh, fondness for that movie. For, Whatsoever. Or, or for Christmas or horror films or slasher films. Some people don't even know Black Christmas. And that's what the whole idea was. We were trying to say before there was Halloween, before there was before Texas. Before there was Halloween, uh, there was Black Christmas. Black Christmas. AKA, what is it? Solid Night, Deadly Night. Or something. It's one of those AKAs. Yeah, yeah. You better not cry or something like that because you're going to die. Or That's pretty good. Well, there was, uh, there was the other ones with Silent Night, Deadly Night, right? Uh, there was, the there was some other. Yeah, but there was some other Black Christmas AKA. Which, by the way, you remember when we were making, back in our day, when we made movies? Yeah. <laughs> we would audition people. Yeah. Do you remember the guy that came in and did a monologue from Silent Night, Deadly Night? No, I remember the guy that came in and did the monologue to from Quint Jaws. from Jaws. <laughs> Like, we're not going to know that. You know, and he wasn't very good as well. You know, it's weird. We, um, when we were in film school, f- uh, freshman and sophomore year, our, we were, I think we were quite lucky, our film school, because, like, we day like, one, we were <clears throat> shooting film. Yeah, we were, like, also, like, the last generation of yeah. the art uh, at our film school to be that. We yeah. were, like, the last holdout. And then after that, things started to change to digital. Yeah, now it's all digital. And I mean, it became, like, less about making movie, about film, and more about... Well, that's my, my joke. It's like, you know, we went to film school when you actually shot it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then you edit it lin- linearly, li- yeah. linearly, which means you're physically cutting, splicing, and... Yeah, uh, you, you have know. a work print, and you're cutting it and taping it. Yeah, and then old you're, school. Yeah, with tape, and then once you, you... Then you you have to sync it up, and then once you get it locked, you send it off to a dude that just puts time code on it so that it'll never get... Uh, Unsunk again when you're editing, and that's the worst thing. You, you like you, you fuck a frame up, and you're like, "Where am I off?" And you're, you're like a frame off for syncing purposes. But anyway, and the scars. Oh, the scars from the splicer because the splicer would it'd be like a spring, and it'd be like a black box, and uh, it'd be like a little guillotine yeah. that would sit up, and it was a spring, and you you push it down. It's almost like um like a stapler, and it would spring up. So yeah, it was always yeah. in the up position. So. You know, you get and you have it in front of you, and then behind it would be like the steam back, where you'd be actually physically uh, or moviola or moviola, yeah, whatever what you're working on. And it, that's basically the editing machine that you could cut and then watch with the screen what what you were doing and all that. So you'd uh, and you would always pull from the left side because once it. It would, it, would, go, it would go left to right. It would go left to right. The film would go left on to like, right. And on would, like two different... It would be all locked into sync. So if you pulled from the... Right side. Right side, you could mess up your sync. So you'd pull from the left side, but if you were right-handed, yeah. you'd have to cross. Yeah. And you would always cross the blade. Yeah, and the blade was the sp- up. The splicer, and it was just like this little axe. That was, so that like was always <laughs> sitting up, and you'd slice your, and your you forearm. Would, and you would always go right across it with the corner yeah. of that blade would scrape right across your arm. Yeah, and I'd get I get it, too. I still have scars, probably. Yeah, and I was a lefty, and I was still, uh, maybe I was doing it the wrong way. I was going from the right, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, so then when we get into the junior, junior and senior years, they, our teachers wanted us to actually start uh, using SAG, or using actors, regular, yeah, yeah. not like our friends. So we had to, we had to like, get, um, we had to rent studio space to, or rehearsal space to try to yeah. have auditions in the city. And then we'd have to put ads out and... Uh, trades, trade, trade papers. Back, what was it backstage? Backstage was one of them. Yeah, yeah you know, like which is so insp- aspiring actors. And you say, well, who the hell would want to do be in one of your movies? Well, a lot of the times, 
actors getting out of college who just say went to theater. It, it all, it'll one, it's good for their reel, so they can have like stuff that they've done. And two, it's good experience for them, and it, it, they can also learn how to act on camera as opposed to yeah. in the theater. It's more just more practice for them, and like you said, you know, actors need footage for a reel to show people what they can do. Yeah. And so it's just it's footage. So we wouldn't most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so we wouldn't pay them. So it, but we'd have an agreement, and if they were SAG Screen Actors Guild, we'd have to get a SAG agreement or after where it was like we'd have a contract where we wouldn't be paying them if we were ever to make money on the movie, then we'd pay them, but then we would provide money for the transportation as well as for food to feed them. Yeah. So, and we put some actors through hell on you know, our shoots. But I mean, that's the... the yeah, but that's not the, so... Uh, I would just uh, say that, like, yes, it was grueling, but we became really good friends with a lot of the actors. So it was fun, but it was work. You yeah, know? I would imagine, I would imagine there was a lot of, I would imagine there were actors working on other sets that fucking just hated it. Whereas like for us, it was tough and it was grueling, but you know, I just, I fucking just saw the guy from my, Kevin from our Kevin Bernard. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just, I just hung out with, he came to one of my gigs. He's in one of the, he's in that commercial now. The, um, you see that, the commercial, it's like a PSA that's in, it's in around New York City. It's about the Wiggles or whatever, and it's like talking about you know your maybe brushing your teeth or something. You ever seen that no. thing? That's very funny. Anyway, it's good. Oh, anyway, so the point of all this was that um, we would have we would hold real deal auditions. Yeah, so we'd have people, and then we get headshots sent to us, and you, it's the craziest thing seeing like you know, oh cool, I'm getting headshots, but then every day you're getting like 60, 70 headshots a day, and it and it, it was kind of daunting to see you know the, the picture if there if the picture was because then there's a whole art of like people's headshots, what they're looking for, what, what it's trying to convey. And then you turn the, the, the headshot over and on the back was the resume, what they've been in, if they had any experience. I auditioned a guy because he was in Dirty Harry. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. he said he did, so I, I was like, so, <laughs> I don't think I even, I even had a role for him in my movie. So, but yeah, so we'd have these people come in and sometimes, remember the girl that like came in and she did some sort of audition where she was on the ground and she, uh, she was some sort of uh, um, like winter solstice queen. Remember, she had like leaves and stuff on the ground. And vaguely, now that you bring it up. And then there was the other woman who like uh, she did she did a monologue where she was supposedly uh, yelling at her boyfriend. Remember, she like she's watching her boyfriend have an affair across the way, so she calls him up and it's her on the phone telling her that he know she knows everything. Yeah, yeah. I remember we get we get some really uh, crazy some some crazy ones. Um, but yeah, there was this one guy who came in and did a monologue from Silent Night, Deadly Night. And then we were like, what is that from? He's like, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I was like, oh, wow. He's like, I have another one from that movie, too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, go ahead, go for it. Yeah, because we'd all, we'd all help each other out. So like, if it was Blake's movie, I'd run the video, and the third guy would take notes, and then... Because you, know, yeah, yeah. you want to tape them all to rewatch them. So you'd say, oh, maybe this Joe Blow was good. Let me go back and look at his thing. And then maybe you, you know, consult somebody or whatever. So we all helped each other out. And wow, that was, that's, that, that was yeah. so long and ago. And there was some guy who was like a year or two older than us that came in and you, you said did the Quint monologue. Yeah, the, the only thing I really remember about it is like we had, a, we had like a break between him and like when the next person was coming. Yeah. And he left. And then you sat in the chair and you did it. Oh, I don't remember. And you did it like way fucking better than that guy did it. <laughs> well, it's just you, <laughs> you were just like wasting time, and you sat down, and then you did the same monologue. Yeah, and then we recorded it. And like, I'll I'll be in the movie. Sometimes sometimes we get a lot of good. I mean, we had a couple people that went on to do stuff. Like one of our guys um, went, went on to be in uh, what's the uh, the fireman show? 
uh, with Dennis oh, Leary. Rescue Me. Yeah, he was one of the guys, was one of the regulars in Rescue Me. We had uh, uh, Jonathan Lloyd Young. John Lloyd Young, yeah, who... Uh, who became... It's funny, because he auditioned for my junior film, and I didn't cast him. And then he auditioned... And he was in A Friend of for Ours. For A Friend of Ours senior and in, film. And he was in that. And then we became friends, and he moved in with me when you lived and in my friends... For a long time, we had a house that he uh, he was one of my roommates for a number of years, and then he moved out of our house, and then he got cast as Frankie Valley in the play Jersey Boys, won the Tony Award for it, yeah, and then was played he, Frankie Valley in he, the in the Eastwood movie. Yeah, good for him. Uh, that's still going and touring the Jersey Boys. Yeah, I don't think he's in it. No, he's I mean not he comes it. back periodically to do like a short run of it. Yeah, but uh, I actually just ran into him. I think I texted you when I ran into him. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Like crossing the street or something. <laughs> yeah, like on the because sh- he lives in L.A. now, but he was here for something. Oh, he does? Oh, yeah. that's good. I guess the way to go. But anyway, we digress. Um, so Christmas. Christmas here. We're doing, you know, you, getting back to what you said, this is not, uh, this is an unorthodox Christmas choice, but there's a, f- a series of movies that dudes like that take place <laughs> around Christmas. I was going to say, what do you think the phenomena of, like, action Christmas period movies is well it's like I wrote this down on my notes it's like you know you think Christmas action movies the first two you probably think of are like Die Hard or Lethal Weapon yeah they take place around Christmas a third for me would be maybe Rambo first I know you (laughs) love bringing that one up it's like the least Christmas referenced one of all yeah I mean because it's just there's a there happens to be a Christmas tree like up in the sheriff's office yeah when they take them in and they book them in at the end there's like Christmas lights on 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 the you know for all we know it could be February they just haven't taken it down yet (laughs) yeah yeah David Caruso hasn't gotten around (laughs) taking it down yet you know but so yeah there's a phenomenon of setting horror movies as well I mean some of the great Black Christmas and Black Christmas you know Deadly Night Deadly Night you get comedies kind of like Gremlins or you get you know there's other kind of you know I guess straight up uh, National Lampoons but then you have these this action movie phenomenon you get like Lethal Weapon Die Hard and like for this it's like before the Lethal Weapon and before there was Die Hard as a Christmas movie. We had this movie, Invasion not, USA. Not before there was First Blood, though. No, not before First Blood. They, they tried it out. <laughs> they tried Just it. Just put their, dip their toe in yeah, the water. Yeah, yeah, for, for First Blood. <laughs> and a lot of First Blood fans will say, yeah, it is. A, you can rank that as a Christmas movie. And it's like, just people like, just because it has a tree in it. But yeah, but this one... This one kind of goes balls out, like Die Hard <laughs> does, and like know, Lethal Weapon does. I don't know if I would go. I would say balls out. It's certainly well, it's I mean, a it's, bigger. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's much more recognizable. Well, they put their let's say but, they put their the foot fact, in the. the <laughs> but the fact that like it's Christmas doesn't play. No, it doesn't play like a, at uh, all into the plot. No, they just added it for like a little. Uh, and especially since the movie takes place in Florida, in, yeah, and, so in, in Atlanta, like, so it, they could have completely much like Ernest Saves Christmas. You know, they're down in Florida for that one. But, uh, yeah, Invasion USA from 1985. Invasion USA, 1985. Uh, Chuck Norris. Yeah, and you got a lot going on in 85. Produced by Canon yeah. during the Golan Globus uh, era yeah. of Canon, which is, uh, I, I don't know, like, you don't get more sleepover no. than, I than don't. Canon. This is freaking... Has sleepover all over it. This movie, <laughs> just like the period of canon in general, it was just like, uh, I mean, it, it, I, it's like I long for those days. Yeah, I remember I went to go see Punisher, Warzone. What was the last one? Yeah, it was with Ray Stevenson. I think it was Warzone. Um, it was a period of time where I wasn't working, and I would go first screening of every movie because it was. Uh, 
cheaper. It was like the matinee. So I would go, and then there was this period of time where there was this group of people and this woman who were would had like a radio had like a video blog thing yeah. she was doing, and she would do little skits of like the movies that came out that week. So there was a period where I would go see a movie on a Friday, the first like screening, and I'd come out, and then she would interview me. <laughs> and you got to know her because she, she would interview like the people that would come out, and, uh, and so like I was on a bunch of those. And uh, one of them was the Punisher, and I came out, and um, she's like, "What'd you think?" I was like, "It wasn't great, but you know, I was like, you know what? It totally reminded me of like the canon days." And she had no idea yeah, what you were talking about. I was like, "You know, Steven Seagal could have been in this movie." <laughs> you know, I was like, "The New York was like was the New York of like Texas of like Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah, Turtles." Yeah, the Crow. It's very you know, back like, lot, like yeah, you know, like not New York at no, all. They, not even close. They're all, they all have like uh, it had a very like. Late '80s, early '90s feel to me. And all the, the cop and, cars are K cars, and they're all. And very, the canon movies are like that's, that's to me is. Uh, and I guess at the time, Chuck Norris was their most bankable star. Yeah, for they canon. had the two Chucks. They had Charles Bronson. Yeah. And they had Chuck Norris. Basically, Canon was a company that started in the late '60s, uh, doing basically like porn. Really. Yeah, they would they would do porn. And at the same time, in Israel, there were these two guys, uh, Golan and Globus. Um, I'm trying to remember what they're... Uh, Menahem, Golan, and Yoram Globus. Jeez. They were, they were um, Israeli filmmakers. Uh, I think uh, Golan was, was, uh, was Globus's uncle. And they started this business, and they would do basically just like exploitation movies. Like Grindhouse, kind of like like yeah, whatever you know, sex comedies or um, you know whatever. They just did, they just loved movies, and at some point, Canon in the seventies was gonna go under, um, and Gullen and Globus bought it, and then they took it over, and then that's the period from like the late seventies into the eighties, and then they tried to have a little bit of a resurgence into the nineties that didn't really work that yeah. well. But so that like mid eighties period is like prime. That's when they really start to take off. They start to they try to take on this aspect of um, trying to do like the studio system old, where they had like a staple of actors that they would pull from. Oh. They were all about like doing cheap movies with A list actors and they would just sell the. They would make that move, the movie with the with the money that they got from the last one, and they would just keep on. It's that, almost like the uh, Roger Corman or the uh, Troma. Yeah, uh, totally. Like the independent like film pioneers. Yeah, and they were the ones that really like revolutionized like the pre-sales of like a movie. That they would go to like Cannes with like posters, and just be like this is our next movie. And you know, and they would make the movie with money. But that's how they would raise money. It was like now it's it's actually like common practice. But they kind of really pioneered this idea of like pre-sales in different markets all over the world. Yeah. And so as they start to they start they do like uh, what's the they do all kinds of movies. The, one of their first big hits was like give me, the, give me a the American first like the last American Virgin or something like that from the eighties was a sex comedy. Okay. Um, and that was basically almost an exact remake of a sex comedy that they did in Israel, yeah. but they did it in America, and um, they did all kind of wacky things. They 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 wanted to, in a lot of ways, they wanted to like 
make American movies for American audiences, but because they weren't American, like they didn't really understand that a lot. <laughs> so you have that foreign flair in there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they did Breaking. Okay. Uh, which we talk yeah, about. Yeah, with Jean Claude Van Damme. And Hard Target. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, which was actually like a really revolutionary movie uh, coming and uh, capitalizing on, on the breakdancing scene. And then they did like a sequel called uh, Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo. You're like the only person aside from me that knew these movies, <laughs> which is hilarious. You know, to see Van Damme breaking uh, on the which uh, Venice tot- Beach. Well, well, then it's funny, well, the, but then. Van Damme becomes like a, a canon staple. Yeah, they, yeah, that, they ended up doing Cyborg, and I think they probably did like Bloodsport and all those movies. I mean, it's like that era of like Orion, Canon. Um, is Canon Punisher as well as maybe Captain I America? I, or I feel like you I see, think Captain America. I don't know if they did Punisher. I can't Orion, remember. But you see, you have to listen to our Punisher cast. Yeah. But their biggest like claim to fame was that they, for like a decade, had the rights to do a Spider-Man movie. Oh. And Cannon was the one that was going to do a Spider-Man movie in the 80s. And uh, there was a time where Joseph Zito, who directed this movie, was yeah. originally attached to it. They had uh, Dudikoff. Oh, uh, Michael? From, from American Ninja? Uh, American Ninja, which was a, which was a successful Cannon franchise. He yeah. was connected to well, he turns Spider-Man. Up, uh, Spider-Man. We're, <laughs> Spider-Man. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but he turns up in the sequel to this movie. They, they followed this with an 86 sequel called Avenging Force with him. They... they Wrote it for Chuck Norris. Yeah. Chuck didn't want it. He's like, eh, uh, I played Matt Hunter before. You well, know? that's funny because Chuck, American Ninja was written for Chuck. Yeah. And Chuck was like, I don't want to be in a movie where you don't see my face for the majority of the movie. Good point. Because he's got to be wearing a ninja mask. Yeah. I mean, really, talking about ninjas, I mean, they did Enter the Ninja. Yeah. And then Return of the Ninja. Yeah. They, like, really, Canon is almost directly responsible for, like, the low-budget, like, ninja movie Craze of the, of the 80s. 80s. I mean, I mean that is, you frame this movie in the mindset of the 80s. 85, I mean, you've got Commando. I think you have Cobra. Is Cobra 85, maybe, or 86? I don't know. Um, I Stallone's. You have American Ninja comes out, and those were huge. So it's like, you, you look at the world this was in, and then you see this movie, and my personal opinion, I think uh, the character of Matt Hunter should be up there with John McClane, Riggs and Murtaugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, First Blood Part Two came out in '85. Yeah, First Blood Part Two. So you have that 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 era of just complete, you know, penultimate action movies. In like one spectrum, you have Commando, where Commando was just so awesome when it came out that it's so silly. But then now it's completely like turned around, where it's so good because it's so silly. Yeah. yeah. And then you have this movie, where this movie complete takes itself completely so seriously. Yeah. And it was like frightening. I mean, they um, there's an actor who um, I forget his name, the the bad guy they offered the role to. Um, who people will know, uh, Stephen Burkoff, which you'd know him if you saw him. He usually plays a Russian heavy in a lot of maybe Bond movies in the 80s and stuff. They offered the role of the bad guy in this movie. He didn't want it because it was too violent. you know. And, and Richard Lynch, the, the he ended up being cast, and he plays the bad guy in this yeah. movie. And it's just so, getting back to being fucked up as a kid. I mean, I saw this as a kid, and it's like, that there's a you know the scene you know where they blow up the, the freaking neighborhood with yeah, bazookas. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. I think that's the strength of this movie is they don't hold back. Is that know. they don't hold back and they have like really great set pieces. Like yeah. That. I mean, how do you not see that and not remember it forever? There was a documentary <laughs> called. Uh, I mean, especially like you're five. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I think we talk about the document. There's this documentary called Terror in the Isles. Yeah which I think we talk about in the Halloween 2 cast a little bit because 
there was a Universal Studios release of Blu-ray of Halloween 2, and then the second, like, that was a bonus feature, was, like, this documentary called Terror in the Isles. And it wasn't about Halloween 2, but it's hosted by Donald Pleasance probably around, I guess it, I guess it had to be later than Halloween 2, because I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that there are scenes from this movie, there's definitely scenes from Nighthawks, which, which is, is an easy movie to confuse yeah. some of the things that happen in it, but I feel like the scene... That should be a Christmas movie. There should be there should be there should be something going on in Nighthawks that there's a Christmas, you know. But anyway, uh, but I feel like they show the scene where the guy blows where uh, he blows up the houses. I mean, it's a, it's such a powerful fucking visual. I mean, the whole you're right. There's there's about three or four set pieces in this movie that are really good, and uh, it's crazy. I mean, that scene we're talking about where they where they blow up the neighborhood, um, they they uh, end up. Um, they use a real in Atlanta, Georgia. They use the real neighborhood. The neighborhood was was being slated to be uh, to be destroyed because uh, the airport wanted to extend their runways at the Atlanta airport. So they they agreed to do it, and uh, they said, "Sure, you can destroy a whole neighborhood." And same thing with the mall. Yeah, the yeah. mall was they getting ready to expand and rebuild. I mean, th- those are the things where it's like, I don't know. It's just like happy. I don't know if there's accidents. Are they go looking for that? I mean. You talk about like escape, how would they like, know that they're like Escape from New York is shot like in Michigan, like Detroit or something like that after like a bunch of fires had happened, yeah. And so it's run down and it's abandoned. This part of town is like abandoned, and you know, like, but you like you have this idea where you're going to blow up an entire neighborhood, you know, like how do you even go about like, figuring that out? Yeah, I guess you could build a bunch of like facades, or. Uh, and Somehow you find out that there's a that the Atlanta airport is going to demolish his entire neighborhood anyway. Yeah, eminent like, domain. Hey, why don't you just, just just blow it up for why us? Why don't you just let us blow it up? And you're right, the set piece it's it's amazing how they just and they set it up so brilliantly and it's just so frightening and and uh, I mean full disclosure, I mean this movie is like uh, this is so exciting for me. Like I hadn't seen this movie in a couple of years. I haven't seen this movie in a I, I, like I don't even remember the last time I saw this movie. It was so long ago. And. Uh, I mean, it, it got negative reviews when it came out on Rotten Tomatoes. It's well, not I rated say, really well. I mean, there's a lot of things I could point to, and I probably will, and I wanted to put a, like a disclaimer ahead. Yeah. That, like, there's a lot of things where, like, it's going to sound like I might be coming down pretty hard on this movie. Yeah. But, like, it's not, like, that's not the intention. Like, yeah. I fully enjoy this movie. <laughs> you know. But, like, I was going to say, like, it is, like, the a movie with, like, the least amount of plot, like, I think I've ever seen in a movie. Well, you know, <laughs> the editor of this movie said that, I guess, canon came in and they recut it so that it was just all action. So they yeah. took a lot of the minor characters out. So near the, when you get into like the second act if you want to call it that it just becomes like Chuck being this mythical character who's just showing up everywhere to, th- to thwart the bad guys yeah. and I think I, I went along with it I was like this is fucking great I yeah, don't know I mean, how no, Chuck's no, like it, but I would love to see the director's cut yeah, if they I were mean, able to put back like the scene I'm sure there's more scenes with the reporter I'm sure there's um, her name was uh, Melissa Prophet I was, I was gonna know, with say the FBI. like there's that, a lot of stuff left undone because it just turns into like a, a best of greatest hits yeah. of Chuck just killing. It's people. like totally. There's like almost no plot to this movie yeah. whatsoever. Like they take like you know like dramatic structure and like throw it out the window. Yeah. Like you're right. This reporter, this female reporter character, has no bearing on the story whatsoever. No. There's like no reason for her to be in no. this. No. It's just there's a lot of <laughs> lot of stuff that Chuck does not have an arc, a character arc. I mean, other than that, like, 
he's called to action after you know after they come to his fucking neighborhood yeah. in the swamp. Well, he and blow up his you house. get the backstory that he and uh, Richard Lynch's character uh, Ruskoff, uh, Nikolai Ruskoff, uh, is is has some sort of past, and it's and it's a testament to like how we a couple like ten years ago we used to have the, those Chuck Norris badass. Like this is the movie why like for me it's like this is why Chuck Norris is so badass at the time, like that he's like haunting Richard Lynch's dreams. Yeah, like he's yeah. having nightmares of Chuck, and Chuck's like I don't want to come back. It's it's the it's the classic story. He doesn't want to come back. Then they come and they try to kill him. Uh, kill they, his friend. They kill his friend, the, his his Native American friend, and uh, luckily the armadillo like survives. And Chuck's <laughs> like I'm gonna go fuck shit up now, uh, and it, it just it's completely 80s escapism and. Yeah, people come really down on this movie, but this is like a freaking great concept, and it's 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 and. Uh, well, let's talk about like the concept for a second. We're coming off of First Blood. It's like a one man, yeah, like killing machine, which I feel like I'm sure you. There's a very good chance you could point to other things, but as like a military, like one man killing machine. I feel like it starts kind of like with First Blood, yeah. at least in the 80s. And there's another uh, series of movies that Chuck's in called Missing in Action. Missing in Action. Fans which of, then, which are direct, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, they're jumping on the bandwagon of the Rambo movies. And yeah, yeah. Well, they're escaping the, the POW it, thing. And yeah, and it's such... And those were huge hits as well for him. He did like three or four of those Missing in Action movies. Yeah, and the, the, the interesting thing about those movies is they're also canon pictures. They make a first one. Yeah, missing in action, and then they're 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 gonna like you know what? Let's just start making the second one. It's like as soon as that one's done, as that one's in post production, they start shooting the next one, <clears throat> which is directed by Joseph Zito, Again. who directed this, and we'll talk about Joseph Zito a little bit more in depth. Um, Joseph Zito's making his movie. He's seeing what's going on with the first movie, and he goes to Canon and he says, "My movie is better than the first movie. If the first movie comes out." Nobody's going to give a shit about my movie. So we should release the second movie first and have the first one be the second movie. Because this movie is a stronger movie, it's a stronger plot, and then people will then care about the second one. Whereas if you do, if you, if you do it the way you want to do it, the second one, nobody's going to give a fuck. No, about I haven't seen one. them in probably since the 80s, so were they... I mean, So they did that. So Joseph Zito's... What was missing in action two actually becomes missing in action. And they, that's right. And missing in action becomes missing in action two. Which then makes one of them, I can now I can't remember which one, one of them basically has like the plot of First Blood Part Two, which is he goes back, there's word that they're still yeah. uh, POWs. Yeah. And he goes back to get them, which is essentially the plot for First Blood Part Two. Yeah, yeah. So this starts uh, Joseph Zito, who's an, uh, from New York, he's a filmmaker. Um, I know he gets mentioned in Mania. Yeah, we couldn't remember his name, and then uh, and then we, we did talk about him in another. Well, because I was talking about how he, him, and he did a couple Norris movies, and we, we were saying that he he's directed, and the reason why Joe Spinell's character that, in Maniac is I named know, but Joe we talk, Zito. But we talked about him in a different cast. I can't remember. We what couldn't it was figure out his name at one point, and then we we did the clarification after. We were like, oh, his name was Joe Zito because he was yeah. the, you know, the Chuck Norris director, and that's the reason why Spinell. 
you know, they were friends, so Spinal named his character Maniac uh, Joseph Zito or Joe Zito. Uh, Joseph Zito, fascinating, like I said, we'll get to him. The point of this, this part of the conversation is, like, so we start getting this, like, one-man hero, military hero, like you said, commando comes into thing. But then there's this also this other phenomenon going on, I think sparked by Red Dawn. Yeah. Uh, which came out in... Uh, 84, So, like, the year before, you get, like, this, like, communist invasion yeah. movie. So, it's like, invasions, like, all of a sudden, like, it became this thing where, like, America was, like, pan. You know, there was, like, a market for movies where, like, the communists or terrorists yeah. would come to America and invade us on, on U.S. soil. No, this would this goes back to the, to the side cast we put out last week with Randy Jurgensen. In part one, he talks about being a cop in the 60s and 70s. And there was a movie that, that was done called The Battle of Algiers that groups like the Weather Underground and the BLA, which is the Black Liberation Army, would watch. And they modeled, it's too long to go into, please go listen to that, that, that uh, interview to, to, to get the exposition about all this. But there was fears in the 60s into the 70s, like cities like New York would fall to terrorists or uh, extremist groups because yeah. in Algiers, the French were, were occupying uh, Algiers. They sent the French military in, the paratroopers, to try to get hold of the city. And what they realized, the people of Algiers, is if you have cells that uh, are, are dispersed, that don't know each other, that are able to cause panic and riot, they were assassinating police officers, that if you're able to take the police force down, you're then able to then uh, liberate yourselves and take over the city or the country. So what they realized in the 70s that there was this big concern that you had all these you know, uh, police assassinations, bombings and stuff, and there was a big fear that these little cells, like you're seeing now with ISIS or Al-Qaeda, that they're doing this, that they have these slipper cells that can be put into neighborhoods. And in this movie, like when they, I mean, it's, it's a bit dramatic when they have the Higgins boats and they land up on the beach, like <laughs> yeah, Omaha yeah. Beach, and then, but then they get into these trucks and they go all over the country. You're going to Chicago, you're going to San Francisco, yeah, you're yeah. going to New York. That, that conceivably actually happened. You could, if you cause, you know, this, this mass chaos, this anarchy, that you, our social structure or our, our, our structure, I mean, look in the movie, that's what started happening. They're just doing random acts of violence, which yeah, yeah. is so freaky that you're right, this becomes almost a nightmare. And then you add in, you're saying, the communists, you know, because everything is yeah, like, yeah. you know. It's the 80s. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know, you know, you know, I don't know enough about, like, history uh, to understand. I mean, the Cold War went on for, like, 50 years. Yeah, it went right so, after so World I'm, War II ended in 46, 47, <laughs> you know, when they separated Berlin. Until, like, you know, like, 89. Yeah, so, when the wall like, fell I, down. So I don't understand, like, why the 80s became, like, well, because so, Reagan, like Rocky's fighting, you, because you get, fighting communism. When you, when, Rambo's fighting communism. Sloat's fighting communism on every front. Well, you happened was when, you know when you had Carter in the White House, and then you know you had the, the hostage situation uh, in Lebanon that was happening, and then Reagan came in. They let go of the hostages, which I think Argo's based off of. Yeah. And then when Reagan's in there, Reagan's kind of like a no BS kind of a guy, and he's like, you know, he'll tell you how to. So he was openly like challenging. You know, capitalism is much better than socialism. So F you guys, Moscow. F you, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, you know. And then it started to be like, turned into this struggle with Germany, say, with East Berlin and West Berlin. Like, tear the wall down. People want to, yeah. you know, fret, you know, it's like North Korea and South Korea where the families haven't talked in 40 years. So it got to the point where, you know, Reagan's directly saying, you know, socialism sucks. You know, you can't do that. And it became... They were clashing a lot, and then you get you know where they're 
almost military conflicts and stuff like that, yeah. where there's these excursions. So it almost boils to a head in the 80s. And then I'm sure it, it doesn't hurt or help that we have an entertainment. Hollywood is completely capitalizing on that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they're actually, you know, like you're saying, where you're having fucking Rocky fight Russian, you know. And, 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 and the, the, the best thing of Rocky Four is at the end, Fucking the the Soviets are fucking. <laughs> they're then cheering Rocky, where it's like yeah. you know that's how it's like you know they, even well, they. Well, Rocky's all hard. Oh, I, mean, I know, I know. Not yeah, Rocky. you're right. You're right, and that's and it's it's funny that even the foreign land that the uh, you know the, the the people of the foreign land realize this and they're like fuck mm-hmm. yeah come on Rocky Rocky fuck what's his face Dolph Lundgren <laughs> Ivan Drago yeah um, um, but yeah so we have this whole thing of the, so this movie is coming off of. Like I said, like I think Red Dawn, I think Rambo, the Rambo movies, I think all that stuff is like. And another, that's like you say, Red Dawn is frightening. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a little more as, uh, in the, in the annals of this being believable, I kind of see this movie being a little more believable in the sense of like, because like Red Dawn, they're just parachuting. They're just parachute right in out of like Central America. Yeah, I don't know where the hell they're coming from, but take over some. At least this movie, you can theoretically. I wish they gave us the backstory, but you could theoretically think that this is an army coming over from Central America that has a much like how we invaded France, where there's a big like maybe freighter of all this of this army, and then that's where they're coming down into the Higgins boats, and then the Higgins boats are bringing them in for the for purposes of being dramatic. Yeah. They just you know land on the beach and they technically invade, you know. And then it becomes like this in terms of like the plot. Obviously, uh, Chuck Norris has a vendetta. Of course. But it becomes like, you can't kill, you can't stop everything. Yeah. You, know, you can't do it. He's like, but if I can stop, like, say, if I get the head off the snake, <laughs> you know, like, if I can kill, if I can get, if I can get, if I can kill this guy, then the rest of it will fall. Yeah, if he can get the leader, um, uh, Rustoff, uh, uh, Richard Lynch's character. So Rich, Richard Lynch is a character, is a character actor that, um, if you grew up in the 70s or 80s. Yeah, you've seen him all over you've the place. You've seen him. All he's like in every TV show, he's on like several episodes of like Starsky and Hutch in the seventies. Yeah. He's in all kinds of stuff. He has a really interesting look because he is burned. Yeah, and he <clears throat> is in one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, "God Told Me To" yeah. by Larry Cohen. That's and like he, his second or third. It might be his third movie. Uh, he's done a lot of TV. He had done Seven Ups before. Yeah, that. he did his first movie, Scarecrow, which is that weird Al Pacino, Gene Hackman movie. You ever see that? That's like in the, in the box of them, like hitchhiking. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. That he's in that, and he Al Pacino gets arrested, I think, and goes onto like a plantation work farm, and I think he ends up uh, Richard Lynch attempts or rapes Al Pacino in the movie, and they became good friends in real life. And then his next movie is The Seven Ups, where he meets our guy Randy Jurgensen. And then I think the third movie might be God Told Me. Which to. is like, a, it's a couple years later, but I think he had done some TV in between that. But yeah, God he's told, all over TV. Like, yeah, you're yeah. right. He's all over TV in the he's, 70s and 80s. And he gets Into a, the 90s, because he's in um, Star Trek Next Generation as well. And he gets cast in uh, God Told Me To because of his look. Yeah. Because he was burned, and the character in that movie. Uh, you should go see it, but there's a, it's questionable as to whether he's maybe extraterrestrial in uh, in origin in the his character. God told me to. God told me to uh, check it out. Very dated, so you have to be accepting of that. Yeah, but we to, always talk to get about through you it. know Larry love, Cohen. It's a great movie. We love that movie. We might even recommend it in, in a cast. We might because I, I I think that movie is like totally been fucking forgotten. Yeah, and it's such a great movie. Yeah. Um, and, contra- and like potentially very controversial and and extremely frightening. Yeah, it's uh, another movie that's a little too hits home a little too uh, close to home. 
But well, the thing I would say, like, obviously... Uh, and more recently, I guess, for audiences um, who may not still not have a, a, a name with the face, or face with the name, he was in the, the uh, Rob Zombie reboot of Halloween. He plays the principal. Okay, yeah, yeah, you know, that's right. He's, he's in that, and um, I think he, he does some more stuff here or there, but yeah, he's a guy that in the 80s is like a quintessential. Yeah, like um, he was just one of those faces that you would see and, and just remember. And one thing I would say, like, fine actor, great in this, great in a, and I've never seen him, like, be bad in anything, yeah. but he's a guy, unfortunately, like, like I said, he's, he's, uh, he's a burn victim. And I feel like that's probably why he got a lot of work. Typecasting. It, it created like a it created a unique look for him. But he's a good actor as well. But he is. Good. You know, it's it's kind of like just, a Peter Lorre syndrome. Where there's it's a like, lot of good actors that don't. Uh, oh, like they don't get work. But he had that. He, well, it's like he again, ended up having like a, a like a niche. Yeah, it's like Peter Lorre <laughs> having the big eyes and the the the, 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 the like kind of small look. It kind of gets you. He's he. You can fit him into parts. He in 1967 was uh, protesting something in New York City was high in LSD and in Central Park lit himself on fire and then realized quickly that that wasn't the best thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And he burned thoughts off. Yeah, he burned 70% of his body, was uh, in recovery for over a year. And after that, he became a pacifist and he gave up drugs. He might have even given up drink because he's Irish. He, he held dual citizenship because his parents were off the boat Irish. They uh, immigrated to Brooklyn. So uh, for the rest of his life, he was very much in the pacifism and all that. But then, see, it, the duality is weird there because he's a pacifist, but then he's playing these movies, where, like, especially this movie at the time. This yeah, was yeah. freaking, you know, really, this was, I think, I mean, it's still kind of disturbing today, the, the violence in this movie. Just, I guess, the, maybe the ideas that, yeah. that, you know, like the opening scene where they, uh, you know, the Cuban refugees. I mean, that's fucking yeah, yeah. crazy. But, you know, I guess being a pacifist, um, you can make the... Uh, you know, these are morality tales. Oh, yeah. And so, like, it's... Uh... But I see, with this movie, for me, the strength of it is, I think, that they, they completely commit to the brutality. Yeah. They commit to the violence. And then another thing which I think has to be maybe uh, Zito and his genius, I love how in the scene of when they blow up the neighborhood or in the next scene when the, the, the bad, the terrorists are dressed up as cops, go machine gun like a, a Spanish parade or a Spanish fiesta, whatever they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they linger on the violence after uh, it's over. Yeah, like the aftermath. Yeah, and, it, and I think that's great because that really hammers it home that, you know, it doesn't cut away. It just lingers on everything so you can see the aftermath and fully soak in what has actually happened as opposed to just blowing yeah. a bunch of shit things up or killing people. It's like, yes, but... It almost like you 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 see the consequences of, of, of what's happened, which I think is great. Yeah, uh, it's funny you say you know you bring up that thing about Richard Lynch being like a pacifist and always playing a bad guy. It's a little segue to that like uh, apparently Billy Drago who, is also like a very peaceful, soft spoken in real life is like a very peaceful, soft spoken, like super nice and friendly guy. He comes off so crazy. Like, he's in this movie. For, and like, one scene. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it, it's a great... He, he's a sleepover staple. Yeah, and he's a great... He's great in this... Then that one scene. He's freaking... Just comes off so creepy, so memorable. And um, two years later, in 87, he plays Frank Nitti in Brian De Palma's Untouchables, which I think really puts him really to the top because that's it might be it's probably like the pinnacle of this yeah that's kind of like there. the biggest movie he's in and then he goes and he's in like uh, Briscoe County in the late 80s early 90s so uh, he was in I can't remember the name of it in the early 90s 
um, on our, on their Facebook page a while back, I had posted an image from a movie called Love in a Forty Five. There was like this period of like Quentin Tarantino inspired, yeah, like Killing mo- Zoe, movies. or even though that was produced by him, yeah. Um, but there was one that had Billy Drago, and I can't remember what the name of it and was. And he's in that crazy like a bank robbery movie. Mieke, isn't he in that oh, crazy? Oh, the Takashi Mieke. Yeah, the one that they did Masters didn't, of Horror. That was so messed up they couldn't air it, the Masters yeah. of Horror, the Showtime was show. How long ago? Ten years ago? Two, yeah, I gotta be. Uh, 2005, 2006. Mick Garris, who's a horror movie uh, aficionado and director best known for um, doing a lot of the Stephen King TV movies. Like it and um, well, that was a huge staple for well, a while. He didn't, he didn't do it, but he did. I think he did the stand, and he did the shining. Langoliers, and uh, Tommy Lee Wallace did it. But um, so Mick Garris has this idea to do a TV show. They take it to I think it was Showtime, called Masters of Horror, and they would assemble like an all-star team of uh, the dream team of like horror movie directors, and they would each do an hour-long short film. Like an episode or an installment. Basically an installment into this series. It's an anthology series. Yeah, which none of them were linked in any way other than it being a horror series. So Toby Hooper. uh, Carpenter. Carpenter. Argento. Stuart Gordon. Stuart Gordon. All like uh, Joe Dante. um, And then you have have good actors like... uh, uh, Steven Weber shows up in it. You have a lot of good. Um, Meatloaf has a great. <laughs> I mean, you know, but he, his his yeah, yeah. his episode is great. And there's a lot Ethan of people Henry that we brought up from. Dutch. Yeah, he's he, he's in the first uh, he's in the first episode, the premiere episode. So so you get this the series, and so they decide to tap Takashi Miike, who's a Japanese filmmaker who's best known here for a movie called Audition um, that he did in like '99. Ichi the Killer also became a little bit of a, a thing here. Um, Not Visitor Q. <laughs> Visitor Q is, is, is a very strange movie. Takashi Meike is a filmmaker that was, he was doing like five movies a year at one point. Yeah, but didn't he do like One Miss Call as well? And um, He did One Miss Call. I want to say like a, yeah, one. which is great. And he did a couple, didn't he do, not The Ring, but didn't he do something like, that was also remade over here, like around, like did he do, um, he didn't do the one with Sarah Michelle Gellar. No, he? no, just one missed call, I think, which was which is a very atypical movie for him. I think that was like a paycheck movie for him. Yeah, but uh, he's best known for doing a lot of yakuza, like yeah. Japanese uh, mob mob type movies. Um, so they hire so Takashi Miike comes in and does a he does an installment of Masters of Horror. Now remember, this is on Showtime. So it's like you could swear, you can have a lot of blood, you can have a lot of guts. And a lot of the ones we saw were freaky. You know, I mean, yeah. not all of them were great. A lot of them, you know, weren't, they were subpar, they were good. Uh, some people hit them out of the park. But yeah. for the most part, yeah. you like didn't the, need to hold back. The Argento one gets censored a little bit. And then Jennifer. And then Takashimi Miyake does one that's like so fucked up that they can't even air it. <laughs> Which is mind-blowing. And the reason why we're bringing all this up is because Billy Drago's in it. And it's it's... It's a great episode. It's really good. I mean, it's it's crazy now. I don't. So you ended up only seeing it. I guess what it it came out on DVD. Yeah, so you're able to see the DVD. It's funny when I this is a complete fucking tangent, but uh, when I was teaching the horror class, yeah, I taught. Blake uh, taught a horror class. I taught a horror horror class for like three years, and so over those three years, obviously, I would refine the uh, the the list uh, of what I would show. 
but I should audition all three years. Now, the first year I, sh I taught the class, I showed a movie, this movie called Audition. Nobody had heard of it. Maybe like one or two people had heard of it. Nobody had seen it. And the, and the students thought it was like totally fucked up. Like it, like it like rocked their world. Second year that I showed it, some people had seen it. A lot of people had heard of it. I showed it and everybody thought it was really fucked up. And <laughs> third year I showed it. More people had seen it, everybody had heard of it, and nobody thought it was fucked up. Isn't that weird? That's like how much like the landscape of things changed. So they're like, I thought this was supposed to be screwed up. How come, like, this was not fucked up? I was like, really? <laughs> so the next class, I brought in the Billy Drago uh, no, episode. Of, episode uh... And I didn't show the whole episode, but I showed, like... There's a torture scene in it, and I showed it to them. I said, you guys want to see, okay. Same. You want to see something really scary? <laughs> yes. I was like, this is same filmmaker. A number of years later, like, this is like, okay, I'll amp it up for you. And then I, I showed that. I wouldn't stop. There was like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. That's what we wanted to see with Audition. That's going to give us nightmares. Uh, it's a great, I, I would actually recommend searching that episode out. That might be the highlight of the series. I loved Carpenter's Burn, burn was it Burn Holes? Oh, or Cigarette Cigarette Burns. burns with, yeah, uh, that's face actually yeah with Norman Reedus yeah Norman Reedus from Daryl from Walking Dead and um, Jennifer is good Steve I like Steve the Argento Weber. one yeah Jennifer with Stephen Weber and that's that's probably my favorite and then um, some of them were silly like the Stuart Garden season, one second season I don't really remember second yeah, season I don't that's like it, how it just much of a downturn the whole series I mean done. you think it's like a, such a great idea on paper yes it's like you're doing like a Twilight Zone or a Tales from the Hood, not Tales to Hood. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. Also Tales yeah. Hood. But like you're doing like an anthology series. It, well, of course it's going to be great. And then, yeah, it's just, I don't know why. Well, the big eye-opener for that was like, it was a real display of like how much like time and money plays. Yeah. Because these are, these are filmmakers that are like proven. Yeah. You know, you're talking about like the guys who are like in the height of their field. Yeah. And they're div and they're dishing out pro like product that's not as good. Yeah, but you know also. And so too, you start to realize that like TV is such a fast moving thing with so little money that just like you got to get the scripts yeah. done and it's just like you realize like how important they may not be able to be those confines. But also a couple of them, sadly, were over the hill in the sense of their creativity. So like you yeah. have like a lot of them are they haven't made a good movie say in like ten twenty years and, yeah. it's, and it's sadly you know goes to show. These are the reasons on display here. Now, Joseph Zito, who didn't, I don't believe, did an episode of that. No. Who directed uh, this movie. Invasion USA. Is kind of, uh, again, we talked about uh, with Dutch, uh, the music, the guy who did the music, uh, Silvestri, being like sleepover you know, Hall, of Fame, yeah. Hall of Fame. Like, Joseph Zito would put it into this category also. What's amazing about him, which I didn't realize until I, we were going to watch this, is that he, he's only made like 10 movies. Yeah, I know. It's weird. It, it, it's, he did and he did a couple Chuck movies, but then it's... He did Missing in Action. He did this. And then he did, which I believe you was a rec maybe your recommendation for Halloween 2. He did The Prowler. Yeah, he did The Prowler. Which is probably what he's best known for. And then he did... Uh, Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, which maybe? is five, I think. Um, Either five or four is is uh, the Friday. What year is it? Do you know? 
I don't know. It's the final chapter is the title. I don't, uh, I don't remember. The I think it's five because uh, six is Jason lives. And then he did Red Scorpion. Yes. Also for Canon with Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. So Which he's I haven't seen of... since it came out on video. <laughs> so he's like this. He's got this like weird parallel thing going where he does horror movies and like these low budget action movies. Now uh, I talked to a composer named um, Joseph Bashara, who's best known for doing. Uh, like the Insidious movies and uh, The Conjuring. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's really like one of the go to guys for doing horror movies Nowadays. today. Yeah. yeah. And so I was interviewing. And those are top movies. Those are really yeah, great. Yeah. Those are know, like the big ones right nowadays. Now. The, the, yeah. Like the Insidious is like the, is like the big franchise. Yeah. And, and The Conjuring on. was pretty well. And good. then there, there was another Annabelle. The, yeah, Annabelle, which, which also, I liked. Which he did the music yeah, for yeah. that as well. So I was talking to him, and he has, I mean, he's a fascinating guy. He worked with, for Carpenter on the score for Ghost of Mars. But uh, as, as I was, like, researching, I discovered he did, like, I think it might be Joseph Zito's, like, last movie. Okay. And so I was like, what was it like working for... Has he passed away, Joseph? I don't, I don't think oh, so, okay. but it's just like the last movie he made. Yeah. And I was like, what was it like working for Joseph Zito? He's like, you know, it was amazing. He's like, I only did it because it was him. They were like, do you want to do like this like action, like espionage movie? And he's like, I'm not interested. But like, he's like, who's directed? He's like, Joseph. He's like, the guy that did The Prowler? He's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> like, I'll do it. And it's interesting, you know, you talk about how like horrific this movie is yeah. in terms of like it's an action movie. According to uh, Joseph, talking to him about like the music, the composer. Yeah, yeah. Joseph. Uh, yeah, Joseph, not Joseph, but Joseph Bashar. Yeah, Bashar talking to Zito about the music. He says he had to him his the way he saw it was that uh, Zito approaches even the action movies like they're horror movies. He talks about them as if they're horror movies, like the suspense elements, your fear elements, like the monster. Like, that's how he approaches it. And I think if that's true, then that, that completely uh, is exemplified in this movie. How yeah. it, it is, you know, basically there's, they don't, the camera, maybe that, that was why it got such bad reviews at the time, that people were just, uh, the level of violence, the camera doesn't shine away from the yeah. brutality. I mean, that scene, we, we're talking about Billy Drago, the scene where Richard Lynch goes and meets Billy Drago because... Uh, the sum up of the movie is basically that Richard Lynch is, I think, a Russian, although he's speaking a lot of German. He's saying Schnell to people yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. But I think he's supposed to be like a Soviet yeah, spy. He, and he wants to just completely uh, take down America. And so, you know, he, he has a team of, I guess they're uh, maybe from this uh, Central America, uh, you know, army, and they're going to completely take down America. So. He, at the beginning of the movie, he uh, is getting, he gets some drugs, and with the drugs, he's going to get, uh, I guess, he's going to exchange it for weapons, and then the weapons are going to be able to, to get them to do what they're doing. And the scene where he's meeting at the beginning of Billy Drago, it's kind of like, almost like a Scarface in the bathroom with a chainsaw kind of a hotel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he goes into this really seedy hotel, which I think Willie Dixon's playing in the background, like singing. There is, there's like, yeah, there's it a sounds lot of like, like, Dixon, good, like There's a blues. lot of good blues music in that. Because uh, later on when they the go movie. to like that King it's either, Cobra It's like either Muddy or, or, or Willie Dixon. Uh, so he goes to meet with, with Drago, and Drago is... I'm gonna buy the cocaine, I guess, and maybe give him in, in, at another location, a warehouse of of, of uh, 
of ammunition and, and, and artillery. Uh, that's that seems freaking brutal. You know, he takes that girl's head and shoves it on the fridge, <laughs> and then you oh, know yeah, yeah. He, he he shoots Billy Drago because he double, Richard Lynch double does a double cross, and he and then, and then he takes the woman, he throws her out of the fucking window in slow motion, <laughs> and it's like oh my god, it's one of the coolest backstabbing scenes ever, and it's like it really solidifies like, I mean if if the opening scene of them destroy killing this whole uh, boat of Cuban refugees wasn't like solidifying how scary these guys yeah, are. Yeah. That scene really just me. You know, he, you know, nobody is safe. Men, women, children, and uh, I also like that they have. For me, I love when you have uh, bad guys that have like uh, cool henchmen or cool like some you know other bad guys. And <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. like two or three guys in this movie. We, like we talked about Batman. You're a big fan of Bob. Oh yeah, Bob the Goon <laughs> is great. You know, but like there's like in this movie there's the dude who uh, the white guy that has round glasses that doesn't say anything. Yeah. He's like a great badass. Like him, and then there's another guy, the Spanish guy that has glasses that has a mustache that Chuck gets some information from. He's cool. And then the other Russian dude who there's a very weird relationship with a guy called Nico that's like the second in command that really believes in David Lynch's character. And yeah. they're really there's a real weird dichotomy there, and uh, he's almost. See, it gets. It's like he's almost not. He has compassion for, I think, for humanity, but he knows this has to be done because, when right before they're invading on the beach, he kills a couple that are like, you know, on the beach at night, like making out and going yeah. in the water, and then they have a little portable television and watching the Johnny Carson show, and he's like laughing to that. I actually think it's the Merv Griffith show. Is it Merv Griffith that they're watching I with them? Um, so, yeah. Because I thought it was Carson laughing, but anyway, and then later on, when he see when they go into this neighborhood, and this neighborhood has like you know at night they're decorating the Christmas tree. There's people playing outside. There's a couple making out in a car. Uh, they take out a freaking like law or a bazooka, and they're about to to, to fire it. And it's like Richard Lynch says, "Let me do it." And it's like it's like frightening. It's like you know they want he wants to pull the trigger. So it's yeah, it's yeah. just. I think it's so cool. I would say that, like, the most impressive thing about this movie to me is, like, the scope of it. Yeah. Like, the amount of... I mean, it's had to be a pretty... I mean, we're talking about Canon being, like, a really kind of, like, low-budget, independent kind of film company. This movie had to cost a lot of money for them. We're talking about, like, the helico the amount of helicopters, tanks, the extras and military... All like the weaponry. It was about it, it cost about ten million for them to do. Yeah, and then especially that end, the whole well, end I mean, staple like where they're in Atlanta. I mean, ten, that was ten million dollars. With ten well million spent was was but ten million dollars was a lot of money, but still not a lot of money then to make a movie of this scope. So I mean, they did a really great. I mean, Zito did a really great job. And I think they lucked like, into a lot of that dollar. You know, they lucked into like being actually able to blow up a neighborhood. Yeah, they were like yeah. being able to completely destroy a mall, and that's another great scene where you know. They say Chuck does a lot of his own stunts, and he's on the side of a pickup truck in that mall. And that's it's just yeah. Freaking... He had said Chuck says like that movie is is probably the most up until that point anyway was like the most like stunt toughest yeah like labor intensive like I mean, stunt wise that he had he had done. Up and he's forty five at that point, you know. Let's uh... and a sweet fucking mullet. Well, that see, <laughs> that's what I wanted to bring up. It's 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 it becomes the he's business in the front and he's party, but it's serious party. In I the know, back. but you, are you see, I don't know if it's a mullet. We always come to this conversation. This is the rhetorical question we have: Is it a mullet or is it not a mullet? You know, because uh, his hair is long in the front, but he's pushing it back. Mm. So this is definitely. You I think it's. A, I I. You gave I, it to me for. Uh, I don't know. Hard target. Yeah, I don't know if I totally 
agreed with you in Hard Target, but I totally knew you were coming from it. It definitely questioned. Yeah. Like I'm not. I'm not sure with Hard Target. Yeah. After, you, after you, your you, argument, you're, you're confident with this. Is a you, you made me. You made me. Because he's slicking his hair it. back in Hard Target. He's got some grease in there. But or some gel. The, this is definitely a Chuck mullet. I don't know. For sure. It's 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 freaking. His whole outfit is sweet. I wonder. I was thinking how many of those shoulder holster for the Uzis were sold after like you know when Dirty Harry came out. <laughs> You know, the 44 Magnum was rampant, so I wonder how yeah, many yeah. people ran and bought, you know... Uh, well, Uzis. I mean, let's talk about Uzis for a second. I mean, you're talking about, like, 80s. 80s, yeah, small little Uzis. Like, if you were going to make a list of, like, things from the 80s... Machine like, guns. Like, and, Uzis would be on that list. Yeah, short Nin- Uzis. you talk about ninjas, ninjas, ninjas would have been on uh, M16s, <laughs> Eugene Stoner's M16 with a fucking rocket launcher underneath. And it's like, even... You look at the, the rocket launchers, the grenade launchers underneath... The M16, say, like in Predator, and those, yeah. like, that looks real. But in this movie, I've never seen them so long. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's almost exaggerated, the the the, uh, the uh, M16 with the rocket launcher. I love that it opens, like, in the swamp for, like, no fucking reason. And, like, and Chuck's just flying around on a freaking yeah, fan boat. Yeah, like, the fan, like, I, the, those things, like, I, I've never been on one. It looks so fun. I would love to go on one. It's you know, you could just drive it's anywhere a very you want. Po- like, that boat is a very powerful, like, image. I mean, it's so, like, Distinct to the, any other kind of boat, and just like whipping around the, the swamp. It's, it's great. Fanta- it's fantastic. It's a great. It's a great way to open. Um, and then, like you said, I mean, just the, then it's just like great, like actiony lot of, set pieces. Yeah, a lot of great set pieces of, of of just getting your your story along by just having great action sequences. Uh, I think Chuck is great in this movie. Uh, Carlos Ray Chuck Norris is his name. And you then, know, Chuck. You know, I'll be honest with you. I never, not that I ever had, I, not that I ever disliked Chuck, but I never went through like a Chuck Norris. You were exposed. See, when I was little, that was like my, I remember they had a cartoon. I know Chuck had a cartoon for a while. Yeah, yeah. The uh, it was like the Kid Commandos or something. It was but called. I never really did like a Chuck Norris phase. Obviously, I had seen movies. Like I had seen this one. Um, but to be honest, I don't know if I've ever seen. And I'm not, I Karate don't, Commandos in '86, Ruby Ruby Spears cartoon. And I don't normally, I don't often admit. And normally, I don't have to admit it because I've because I normally have seen everything. But I, I'm definitely behind on my Chuck my Chuck Norris viewing. You know. And one thing I will say is, yeah, I mean, look, Chuck's not winning any Academy Awards. I mean, he's he's a little stiff. I mean, he's great in this part, um, but. Even as someone who who's never like a diehard Chuck fan, I will say that like, you know, you brought up like that, you know, Chuck being a badass kind of thing that popped up like a couple years ago. That's like going on ten now, two thousand five um, or six. I just feel like I don't like it because I feel like it's making fun of Chuck. Oh yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a fine line there. Like you know, when I went to go is see, is it paying homage or is it kind of like taking the Mickey? You don't. You know? When I went to go see like the Expendables two, yeah. Uh, there was like these group of like younger guys. I want to say they might have even been teenagers. I don't even think they were in their twenties. And when Chuck came, one of them was like so excited. And and at first I was like, "That's awesome." And then I realized that like it's for the wrong reasons. See, I don't like that. It's like I feel like Chuck has become a little bit of a joke. Uh, maybe it's because of Walker Texas Ranger and all this and all this stuff. But I don't appreciate it. I think even though I've never been a diehard Chuck fan, I think Chuck deserves a lot of respect. And I don't think that, like, being into Chuck for the wrong reasons is a good thing. I mean, I, it's great that Chuck has faith. Are, are, are into him, yeah. but I just wish it was for, like, you know, here's a guy who, while in the Air Force, like, stationed in, like, South Korea, started martial arts training, yep. you know, worked hard at it, 
lost a lot in the beginning, worked hard, became a martial arts champion in the yeah, late he became 60s. The, uh, like the middleweight karate champ. Yeah, he he uh, he, he did some uh, great stuff. He, he, he got a karate title in 69, won the Triple Crown for the most tournament wins of the year, was fighter of the year for Black Belt Magazine, and he came back to the States, to California, opened some karate schools, and then yeah. while he was there, uh, doing like street exhibitions, met Bruce Lee. Yeah. And Bruce and Lee's he, like, fucking yo. So he pops up in one of my favorite Bruce Lee. Well, Bruce and that Lee, could be his first, I think that's his first role. Yeah. And uh, that's still to this day why a lot of uh, Asia knows him from yeah. is, is because. Way of the Dragon. Yeah. Also, sometimes you'll see it here, the way the Bruce Lee movies. Return of the Dragon as well. Because, yeah, the way the, the titling has happened with American versions of, the American releases of Bruce Lee movies is wacky. And you can find it as Return of the Dragon. Um, it was called Way of the Dragon in China. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's still to this day considered like one of the great martial arts fight scenes. Yeah, they fight in the Coliseum. Chuck Norris and Bruce Lee fight in the Coliseum. In yeah, <laughs> like, yeah they, they go like wild tourists are around. Uh, and it's, see, that's, you get back to Chuck is that generation of, you know, he's before... Schwarzenegger and Stallone. Yeah. He, he's there with Bruce Lee, with Jackie Chan. Although America really wasn't hip to Jackie Chan until, until like the like, 90s. Yeah, but he does show up. He's in Enter the Dragon. He's, he's got a little cameo. Jackie in, does as a stuntman. Yeah, because uh, Jackie, Jackie was a J- Jackie and Sammo Hung were basically stuntmen who went to like you know Chinese like basically like ballet school, like entertainment school. And then became stuntmen, and then once Bruce Lee died, there was this void. Yeah, they needed. They wanted there was you got Bruce Lai came in you got all like these, and they made a couple movies with with like footage that was left on the table yeah. of Bruce Lee with a lot which of which you sleep sleep we're talking about sleepover experience we rented Game of, Game of Death two yeah not even Game of Death one and it was like his Game of Death one is the one that is that that he didn't finish that everyone knows now because he fights Kareem Abdul Jabbar in yeah. it as well as he wears this the very legendary now like the yellow the yellow jumpsuit that, yellow with the black stripe what's her face wears in Kill Bill movies yeah, yeah. that's all homage to 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 the to the. Uh, Game of Death. Or Game what? of Death. Yeah, yeah. that was going to be. That was a movie that he was going to. Bruce Lee was going to write and direct, and they shot a bunch of footage, and then Bruce Lee died. But then, so it, so they they released it with some really bad like stand in and some. I mean, bad, there's literally people like walking around a stand in that has like a a, uh, a cutout of <laughs> Bruce Lee's <laughs> face <laughs> over. Let's say he's wearing a cutout mask. <laughs> so you and I rent. Because it says starring like Bruce, like he's actually in Game of Death too, yeah. and I was like, "Wow, like I don't even know this." Yeah, one. is there like, footage left on the floor? Like, or? Yeah, what is this? So we run it, and like Bruce Lee's. It, well, it starts off in them filming Return of the Dragon, and it starts off they're on set of the Coliseum fight. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, you know, I don't think Chuck Norris came back here for that. No, or, you no, know what no. I mean? It's all like they're either using using footage from Way of the Dragon or Return of the Dragon. And then they're like cut, and then he remember he like goes to like his uh, he goes into like his trailer, and that's where the guy's wearing the mask, you know. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know and then he gets killed, and then it's the he funeral. gets killed, and then it's like Bruce Lee's actual footage is from like Way of the Dragon slash Return of the Dragon, and then it's like his character in the movie gets killed, and then it's that character's funeral, but it's real funeral footage of Bruce Lee. It's Bruce Lee's funeral is in the is in the fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, and, and like you know uh, Steve McQueen, who was really tight with him, and um, Jason uh, what's his Robards? name? Not Jason Robards. No. Colburn, James Colburn, Colburn uh, who were both uh, uh, students of, of Bruce Lee's. Were Paul Bear's the funeral? So you see them, and it's really odd. Uh, and then Chuck, 
you know, keeps doing stuff. And, and uh, Steve McQueen uh, starts become a student of Chuck Norris's, as does his son Chad McQueen, Bob Barker, Priscilla Presley, uh, Donnie Marie Osmond in the 70s. And Steve McQueen's like, hey, why don't you start going to some acting classes at MGM or whatever? And he yeah. does. And then Chuck starts getting work. And, uh, you know, he becomes, in the late 70s, he does like... Uh, uh, I, there's a whole bunch of movies that, yeah, are, like, yeah. that are really good. And, and then he becomes, in the 80s, known, you know, as the action star. And he's, like, solidified in the 80s. And for me, he was, like, the first guy I saw. Right before uh, Schwarzenegger or Stallone, I, saw, I was watching yeah. Chuck Norris movies. And, like, his missing in actions were staples. And Now, he never... Well, because he kind of stopped. Because you got to think he's forty-five. In I was going to say, do you think it's just a really an age thing? I think it's like you know, because he was, you know, he wasn't acting for so many years. He didn't start acting till his late thirties, early forties. I mean, if you take out the fight scene with Bruce Lee, yeah. So, you know, he he does he gets like he he does like, gets a comfortable role in the nineties doing uh, Walker Texas Ranger, which yeah. is cool for him, and, and that's very iconic. People know and love him for that. But then he, you know, people, he's, he's, now he's in his 70s, you know, and it's, it's kind of, I mean, let's see, he has, you think of his accomplishments, he has a black belt in judo, he's third degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, he's fifth degree black belt in karate, he's eighth degree black belt in taekwondo, he's ninth degree black belt in tang sudo, and then he's even invented his own yeah. martial like, arts, much like, like Bruce Lee like did. Like Bruce Lee did with Jeet Kune Do. Yeah. But it wasn't until like the 90s yeah, that Chuck came out with his it's, own. Uh, Chun Kung Do, he's 10th degree black belt in that. And, uh, Which means the universal way, right? Yeah, and he has a great um, rules to live by, which I freaking love. He has ten freaking, you know, like they're almost commandments that you that, that you have to take doing the the martial art and to the use book your of Chuck. Life. Yeah, and it's 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 freaking awesome. I have had the honor of meeting him a bunch of times, and uh, I've actually become very friendly with his wife. So when he'd come back, I'd see his wife, and his wife's like, "Hey, how are you?" And I'm like, "Good." And his wife's gorgeous she's a model it's second yeah. wife that he married so there's this funny thing where it's like um you know i see him a lot and he's so cool and i've hung out with him sometimes uh, uh a couple times and he's got a bodyguard with him and I, I i became friendly with his bodyguard talking to him and i was like you know why do you need why does chuck need a bodyguard and, and he's like well one chuck is so nice of a guy that he never can say no so he, the bodyguard will have to step in and say okay that's enough you know chuck has to go two Chuck still has to worry, like Bruce Lee used to have to, yeah, that yeah. People, will people will still challenge him on the street. And, I mean, you know, Chuck is in his 70s now, and he's still got to worry that some dude, some asshole is going to, like, try to, like, you know, sucker punch him or who, I don't know, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, who knows? To just say, you know, I, like, you know, I, yeah, you know I, I freaking messed up Chuck Norris. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he comes in, and I'm like, I, I wish I had something for him to sign. So uh, it's, it's like the next day or so, or a couple weeks later, I go up to Lake George on vacation, and in one of the shops in the back, like the posters, they have the f- poster from the first uh, Missing in Action, the, one of the greatest Chuck Norris's images in the world, where he's like got that M60, yeah, you know, it's yeah. that real iconic photo. I'm like, wow, this is this is the poster I want him to fucking sign. So I grab it, I put it in my locker at work, just if he comes back. Like the next week, he comes back, and he's got a book as well. So you know, he's like, how are you? I'm like, good. You know, how you doing? He's like, good. you know, um, he signs my book, great thing like that, and he goes to sign my poster. And he writes in cursive, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and in cursive, he writes to a great guy, Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But with the cursive, <laughs> the U looks like it connects into an A. So it looks like he wrote to a great gay 
<laughs> Chuck Norris. And my wife's like, that's what we're putting on your tombstone, that Chuck Norris said to a great gay Chuck Norris. I'm like, oh, come on, Chuck. You know, you wish your cursive was a little better so it doesn't look like you was an A. So it's just, it's so funny. And it's just, you know, and I also, I had like a board he broke. And I just... I have to just say, we, we've talked about before. <laughs> How did you get a board that he broke he, one on the show? Yeah, he broke one on the show. And I, I took the board home with me, you know? I was like, you know, I gave it to a kid that's a friend of mine who's a huge Chuck Norris fan that we bonded. You know, we didn't know each other that well. And then I was like, yeah, I met Chuck Norris. And he was like, that's freaking great. We kind of bonded. So when he came back and I met him, it's my best friend's husband, my wife's best friend's husband. I was like, here, I gave him the board. And he like now worships it like an altar. But... To say, the reason I bring all this up is because we always talk about sometimes you meet people and they're not who you yeah, think they yeah. are. And, and I can't say how nice Chuck Norris is. He's such, awesome. a, he's such a cool guy. And, you know, in the 90s, I was a fan of that movie Sidekicks. Remember him yeah, with, with the Joe late, Piscopo? Late, yeah, Jonathan Brandis. Yeah. The late Jonathan know, Brandis. Such a great movie. You know, it, it, that's like the, the kind of child that I had where I had, like, you know, people like Chuck Norris was in my head yeah, helping me like out and stuff. Yeah, like an action hero type. You know, uh, yeah. Living out the fantasies. You know, and he, it's another guy, Joe Piscopo, I've met several times. He's a great, great, great freaking guy. But it, it's, it's, it's so cool. So Chuck is like the man when you come into this. And you see this movie, and he's like such a freaking badass. And, like, every line he has in here, it's, it's like, you know, it, it's it's... It's so good. You can quote every single thing he has. It's time to die. Uh, I'm going to hit you with so many lefts, you're going to beg me for a right. The guy says, see you in hell. He says, send me a postcard. Uh, if you, um, you know, or that one part where he's interrogating a guy, and uh, he, he says that line to him, you know, I'm gonna, if you hit you with lefts, you're going to ask for a right. And he brings back more muscle, and Chuck's just like, you're really beginning to irritate me. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's just, it's, and, 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 and you know, um, if you live through this, you know, tell Roscoff that I'm going to die. And it's just, he's got, he's got so many great lines in this movie, you know? Yeah, you know. And it, These one-liners, it's, it's just, you know. And it's part of, like, it's part of, like, his stiff. It's a, it becomes his style, Delivery you know? that kind of makes it work in a weird way. Like, anybody else, like, delivers. A, I don't know. It's like. But see, I wonder if that's. Chuck's, like, like he's, look, he's not really. He's not like not really an actor. Yeah, he's Chuck. Like he's just being Chuck, guys. you know. But there's a there's a certain charm to it. And I wonder like, if makes it, these movies entertaining. It worked better back then because that was what the audiences wanted. They wanted the badass. They wanted that kind of a hero. And uh, you know, for me, there's like two different kind of Chucks. There's like mustacheless Chuck Norris. Because in the '70s, he did a lot of movies without a mustache, and he had like blonde hair. And then he kind of went ginger, and he became a redhead. In this movie, he's got red hair, and he's got like a, a pretty sweet beard, yeah. you know. And he's got that sweet ass pickup truck that he has in the movie that I, uh, I think a lot of people like. You know, I've, I've tried to buy and 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 uh, you know modify to look like that. Yeah. And I also like the continuity on the pickup. If you noticed. Um, a lot of times in movies, continuity on stuff like where like it'll have a dent from one scene that's not there. All the continuity was right. Where you know he had like a tail light out from the mall. Next scene, tail light's still out. You know. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I uh, yeah, I think that the, his character of Matt Hunter should really be up there with the John McClanes and the you know the, the things in the world. And then this movie, uh, the climax of this movie. Um, spoiler alert: <laughs> he sets a trap. Basically, yeah. he gets arrested intentionally by the police. And then they basically, because he knows that uh, he's got a lure of Richard Lynch. He knows the Richard Lynch character will come. It, for it's him. obsessed, you know. It, 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 and we, I feel like we've seen that in other movies where the bad guy is so. It's like, I guess it's kind of like Commando the same year. The, the, yeah. the Australian bad guy and that's so obsessed with John Matrix. You know, he's like, you yeah. know, I don't need a knife. I don't need the gun. You know. So basically, he sets this trap. <clears throat> 
you know, and then the and then the fucking like army comes in and like surrounds the building. But I think the beauty of this movie is like you would have, you basically have like the standoff, like the gun, like the fucking gunfight, like the the draw. Yeah. You know, like at the you know high noon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for it's with grenade launchers. Yeah, it's with freaking bazookas. <laughs> it's 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 with it's a, a. He's got a. I think uh, Chuck's got a law, and. Um, the other guy has a proper bazooka, and it's it's like yeah. the, the whole that whole end scene is classic for me. That's another thing I remember growing up, where he's just he's walking through the office and he's killing them all. And I love that scene where he comes up to the door, and they're both on either side of the door. And they, you know, if he walks to the door, he'll get shot. So he blows away bolts. I don't know how yeah. he realized it's just Chuck having that sixth sense. Chuck can be anywhere. Like the scene, they're gonna go blow up a church. And, uh, you know, they're just doing horrible things and people are, you know, there's a curfew for people to be off the street and all the uh, people have snuck out to be in this church to go to mass and the bad guys have put this big, like, suitcase bomb in front of the door and they, they wire, they run wire back across the street to a parking lot and they go to turn it on and they hit it and nothing happens. And then this, the camera slowly pans up to, to the roof behind them and Chuck is up there, walks up, and he's holding the briefcase, which means... In the time that they ran it across the street, he snapped the cable, <laughs> grabbed the bomb, went across the street, got into that building, went up to the roof, and then had the no wherewithal to know where they were. And he's like, "You, you, you forgot something." He throws it down, and it blows up. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's just, the other scene is uh, the school bus. The school bus. That another thing that fucked me up when I was little too, with the, with the uh, you know them putting a bomb that. I always thought for the rest of my life I was going to, like, when going to school, grade school, I thought somebody would put a bomb on the side of our yeah, bus, yeah. you know? So they're going to, the, the adults of the community are going to ship off the kids for their own safety. Yeah. The terrorists pull up in a f- fucking sweet-ass car. Yeah, they're in, they're in like a, uh, a, 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 what do you call it, a, li- a unlimited, a L, L, LTD uh, unlimited. And they pull up and they stick a bomb on the side of the bus. So Chuck comes up, and you think it's going to, because it's, it's counting down, it's a time bomb. Now, did you... I don't know if you got the reference. Did you hear what the kids are singing on? on row, row, row your boat. Which is, remember, Dirty Harry. That's yeah. what the kid, the, the, what's his face? The Scorpio's having them sing. So I wonder if that's a nod to Dirty Harry. That they're be. singing row, 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 your boat. It's also probably one of the only, like, oh, everybody public like, domain songs. <laughs> that's a, aside from, like, bottles of beer on the wall. <laughs> you can get, like, kids yeah. to sing. So Chuck comes up, and it's counting down, and Chuck's trying to grab it off the side of the, the uh, bus, and it's counting down. And you think that that's going to be, like, the suspense of it. It's like, he's, is he going to get it off in time before it counts down? They decide to forego, like, that suspense scene. And it then becomes that Chuck grabs it, the suspense comes, is like, it's not even suspenseful. He takes it off the side, and then he just drives up to the... To the to he the, makes it up to them. He makes it up to... Drives, speeds up, catches up, you guys lose something? And then he puts it up... <laughs> And then they, they for- stop. They forego like this whole like this what could have been like this great like suspense sequence for just like you know what let's just have Chuck fucking get whip off we'll one see. line and, yeah, and, and blow and, up the bad and guys. And it becomes to that point where he's like this mythical character where he's able to show up at everything they're doing. And like like the mall, he he bursts into the mall at the right time, and it's yeah. like how the hell do they know where the scene? And then it's after the mall, they come crashing out. The reporter shows up. And uh, what's her face? Melissa Prophet, who I've never seen, sadly. Yeah, oddly enough. You know, Chuck had a good idea. Did you read that Chuck wanted Whoopi Goldberg to play, play the reporter? And I said, yeah, she could have been yeah. doing the Jumpin' Jack Flash thing. You know, that would have been great, but then Zito didn't want her, and they, he cast this girl, and I think that would have added a lot of, you know, maybe Whoopi would have got more scenes, yeah. or they would have kept the scenes that they shot that they must have thrown on the floor. Yeah. Because at the end, it's just the best of, yeah. Chuck blowing people up. Now, Melissa Prophet, you know, she's, if you look her up on IMDb, she hasn't done that many movies, but 
because she, she does this. Uh, so she's done other things, but the most recognizable this Action Jackson, which you're like, okay, yeah, still like Car Weathers, Car Weathers. Other two movies, I think, like the last two movies on her IMDb list, Goodfellas and Casino. Really, who's she in, in either one? I don't know. Oh, it just says. You know. I, I'm sure there's a name, but like I didn't, I didn't remember the, what character it was. Now we, we we're talking about the climax here before we 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 leave that, and uh, you you brought up how the final showdown is. You know, it's 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 basically it's fucking awesome. It's 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 uh, Norris just calling the guy's name, and the whole time he's having dream dreams being played of Norris saying it's time to die, and then Norris is like fucking with him. He's telling his henchmen to say, if you make it out of here, you go tell him it's time to die. And I love that. It's like, I'm going to get you. Time to die. So he's at the end of this movie, he's killed all his henchmen, and, and Richard Lynch has like, gone mad at this point. And he's yelling at him, you know, uh, Rostov, and he's like, no, ah, and he's shooting, and it's great. All the squibs. I mean, you just think about a setup like that. They're, they have all these, like, office walls of, like, um, you know, plywood and uh, uh, all the other stuff that you have, yeah, drywall, yeah. and he's, they're just destroying it all. So you can only get like one take, and let's, <laughs> yeah. it's like a three-hour setup to put everything back. And at the end of the movie, yeah, he, he, he drops the big machine gun, he has a bazooka, and Chuck just stands up behind him. And Chuck's is just like, you know, he opens the law up, and the other guy's like, oh, and, he's, and he, I think he says to him, he's like, it's time to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then it's slow motion, it's like, Roar, and then Chuck just does it faster than blows him up, and you talked about uh, Charles Bronson being the other uh, guy at the time. Yeah, Cannon. I think at the end of, I think it's Death Wish 3. It's the yeah, one Cannon did all the Death Wish sequels. Yeah, Death Wish 3. It's the one with What's-Her-Face that you get to see her breasts, Deanna Troy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah God bless her. Uh, at the end of that movie, uh, Chuck Norris does the same thing. He kills the bad guy, blowing him out of the, uh, with oh, a bazooka. Bronson. Yeah, Bronson kills him. It's the same when Martin Balsam's in the movie, too. He blows the bad guy out of the window with a bazooka. And it's like, it's got to be the same year, 85, 86. So it's like, they're they're using that. It's like, it works so well in uh, freaking Invasion USA, we're going to use it here. Yeah. Um, Behind the scenes, we have... uh the great Jay Chataway. Another alumni, I wouldn't say alumni, but he's Hall Art. Which we talk about in Maniac, and then uh, Dave and I in our sidecast for uh, Silver Bullet, we talk a lot about, a lot of uh, a lot of love for Jay Chataway in that. Um, one of my favorite uh, composers. Uh, this, you know, I don't think this movie lends itself to the kind of scores that he does in Maniac and Silver Bullet, so it doesn't have quite the heart that those scores have. But So Jay Chataway delivers that. And makeup effects. Tom Savini. Savini did these makeup effects. And in his protégés, Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero, who then went on to start K&B with Robert Kurtzman. Now they do everything. Yeah, who do everything Nicotero you know, produces and directs a lot of the episodes of Walking Dead. Um, but so our boy Savini fucking shows up. Joseph Zeno, who did, you know, he did... The Prowler. Makeup, he did the Prowler. And that so was Savini, too. Did, and, he do uh, that, did he do that Friday the 13th as well? That might be the one. Then if that, that is, he did Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, so that might be then the one that they worked on together. Because yeah. maybe that is the the final chapter, Part Four. I I don't know because the fourth one is the one where Jason dies. Spoiler alert: the fifth one, it's not Jason. It's the yeah. ambulance driver. And then sixth it one is when the they final, reboot it. It's the final chapter, so I imagine it must be four. Yeah, and maybe the fifth one so is the a one new with beginning. Corey Feldman. Yeah, because then so. they they have him cameo at the beginning of the fifth one, and then he wakes up and he's older. So it's like it's, remember he's now comes um, the kid who's in. Who's like in five? He's in five and six, you know, yeah. with uh, Rorschach, not Rorschach, yeah, uh, Horshack, Rorschach, Rorschach, <laughs> Rorschach shows up. 
they, where they kill and they open. It, it's that kid. It's it, the two of their fault that the rest of the Friday the Thirteenth movies happen because at the beginning is the six. They dig him up, yeah, yeah. and then he gets electrified and he wakes up. But um, so I just want to give a shout, so, yeah, a little shout Savini, out to I forgot, Savini. I completely forgot Savini. And you get the the Chadway. And they're but they both they both did Maniac. Oh yeah, it's you're all right. like a and then Chadway like like a, two years later doesn't he, he goes up uh, ends up doing like Next Generation right. That comes out like Chadway ends up doing a lot for Next Generation, but Chadway did. I think he must. I think he might have done Missing in Action. He did Red Scorpion with Zito, uh, so he did a lot of those canon action movies as well. Um, the airport it was in Georgia. It's the Hartsfield Airport. It's now the, the the neighborhood they blew up is now the current site of the Georgia International Convention Center in College Park, Georgia, and I guess the. The ending is downtown Atlanta, where they actually have, and that was like you're saying about set pieces. I and mean, they have like two dozen tanks. I know that's what I'm saying. You know? like it's a lot of money. And you know, speaking about the special effects, uh, you know, people getting shot and stuff. I think they all look great. The gunshots, people getting killed, and then the scene that stands out for me is when uh, the setup to the ending, where they the the bad guys go get armored cars to to kind of barge their way in to get into this building that they think Chuck is in. Uh, they blow up the entrance to like the armored car place and kill the guys. Oh, that's a, that's a, I wanted to bring that up. That guy must have died. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, I rewound that. There's a scene where because the, like there's just there's like one guy working under the uh, under like fixing a, the the armored car underneath. There's another guy who's like just reading the paper, and there's another guy sitting at a desk who's directly like I don't know like he's like he's fifty facing. feet. Yeah, but he's, the garage door entrance to the to yeah. the garage. I mean, it's uh, when I say garage, it's like a parking garage, yeah, and there's yeah. all armored cars, and they blow that fucking door up, and shrapnel comes at him, and he gets thrown back. And I, I know, it, it looks, I watched that, and I was like, oh my god, like, I like, I wonder if this guy died. Yeah, because this movie because he he gets pulled out of frame either by the momentum of the explosion or they have a cord on him, <laughs> yeah. and uh, at the other side of his desk ends like pieces of the garage door. Yeah. So it's like he really got fucked, you know? Yeah, yeah. That was that is a. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because that was something I watched when we watched it. I was like, oh my god! Yeah, we, 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 it's, you know, and uh, there's a there's a lot of like people that show up in it that I recognize. There's a, there's a dude. You remember when the when the the badasses that dress up as police guys, the evil police, they go and they machine gun the the Spanish festival that they're having. Yeah, yeah. That one guy that comes up to them and starts saying something to him before they kill him. He's the Spanish guy in um, Leviathan. Oh, okay. You know, I recognize. But of course, you have. Uh, Eddie Jones, yeah, who uh, plays uh, Chief O'Brien and Chud, plays Jonathan Kent in Lois and Clark. Oh, yeah, the yeah. New Adventures he Superman. plays the FBI agent. Yeah, he's yeah. in uh, Sneakers. I think he plays one yeah. of the FBI guys. See, it's like, and he's also one of like the guys that hang out in the at in the little diner in the Rocketeer. Oh, plays you're right. Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, he is one. Who's of the Malcolm? Guys. He's the guy that gets. Does it, Malcolm's the guy that gets on the plane, tries to fly the thing. Yeah, he, with the clown, he has a heart attack, and then he has to. Yeah, and then. Uh, yeah, because he tries to cover for... Seacord uh, has to save yeah. him. Yeah. That's so funny. See, it's like, I wish... I really wish that they would go back and re-edit this and put back in, like, whatever they cut out. Because it, I would love to see what else, you know... Uh, and especially in uh, the second half of this movie to the end, where I know they want to just turn into a Chuck Fest, which I'm completely into. Yeah. But I want to see, you know... Well, you know, this might be one of those, because Canon folded... This might be one of those ones that because like you and I had a hell of a time finding it. Finding yeah, well, that's that's another. It's, it's hilarious. You know, we it's on it's on DVD. It's on Netflix, 
But the problem is we didn't have the foresight to actually maybe get it and have it and shipped mean, to us. Yeah, you mean Netflix in terms of like you get the disc. You get the disc. It's not, not on it's, streaming. It's not on streaming. It's not on any streaming. It's not on Amazon Prime. It's not. It's not on YouTube. You can't find it on any nefarious sites. It's. It's. And that means not only is it not on Amazon Prime, which means like if you had Prime, you could watch it for free. It's not like even on Amazon's Prime server. I mean, Amazon streaming service where you could rent it. It's not on like the, on demand. Yeah, two ninety nine. And it's not on any cable providers on demand. It's not on FiOS. It wasn't on your. So we were scrambling like crazy. Yeah, we were. It was like twelve o'clock at night. We're looking and we're calling shop. Nobody has it in stock. I was looking at Best Buys and Barnes and Nobles. Nobody carries it, and it's like this should be a Christmas staple. <laughs> You know? It shouldn't be part of the Christmas season. Yeah, I mean, you, a, a sweet three-pack right there would be freaking Die Hard, freaking Lethal Weapon, and freaking um, this movie. And I wish to make this movie a Christmas classic, much like you have at the end of Lethal Weapon, much like you have at the end of, certainly at the end of Die Hard, the last shot in Die Hard is them driving away and there's like one of those shots where they pull back and they have a Christmas song on. Yeah. And I think that would have been perfect in this. If they, if, because this movie just ends, the, he, it's, it's, it's like the end of Nighthawks. Where yeah. he blows the bad guy up and then it just fades to black. They should have been something like Chuck just walking out, you know, and then you just, you know, pull back like Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, <laughs> Jingle Bell Rock. That would or some Gene Autry song. Yeah. I think that would have been perfect. But I love how they frame it around like Christmas and all that and uh, the Christmas holiday. So this is our this is the first of our of our December Christmas. And we should also um, put in lastly that there was a sweet 1985 uh, novelization. Yeah. Novel, noveliz, novelization, novelization, novelization. Yeah. And Chataway did, uh, his score was released on LP in 85, and it was later, later re-released and remastered on CD in uh, 2008. With, there was a limited edition of 1,000 copies. And as we said, the movie did, uh, it was 12 million to make, and it grossed domestically 17 million. So that's just domestically. So they, didn't, they did make their money yeah. back. I don't, you know, and a lot of those movies make the bulk of their money internationally. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that it made, made a little bit of money here, you could say $17 million, that's not a whole lot of money to make. But the pro- chances are it probably did really well around the world. Yeah, and that's, you, that's how these movies make the, the and money. And then you think about it at the here. time, 85 was complete VHS days. So who knows how much it made once again on VHS or the paid channels. Yeah, I mean, that's basically you know how we remember it. Yeah, I saw it. I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on TV. I saw that missing in action probably at the same time, and it was enough to fuck the shit out of my head. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like, I can't emphasize enough how frightening the, the scenes are. The, you know, they, it's just really good storytelling. That yeah. they, that, that, and it's just, it's almost like you want to turn away. You know, it's like, it's, and uh, I think Richard Lynch is such a great bad guy in this movie. Uh, I think everybody does a, do a great, great yeah. job. You know, Chuck's outfit is badass. He's got jean on jean. He's got some yeah. sweet cowboy boots. He's got the yeah, badass yeah. truck that he gets from his friend, the Indian guy who gets killed. Chuck is half Irish and half Cherokee. So, uh, and uh, he was named, his, his, like we said, his birth name was Carlos. His father named him after their pastor. And then when he was in the service in the, uh, in the Air Force, he was the, the Air Force police stationed in like South Korea. That's when he got his name Chuck. So I think that's pretty cool. Like, he didn't do it to get into acting. Yeah, it was yeah. just a, a nickname a people nickname, gave him, yeah. Chuck, when he... When he's in the military. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to, like, changing your name, like, you know, Michael Caine or Michael Keaton did, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that's pretty cool. And it's like, you know, for me, it's like, if you want to see Norris being badass, man, this is the freaking way to go. I will also say, and not related, not in this movie, you know, last time we brought up, you know, I have to say, like, I cannot... 
we talked about an antenna television. Yeah. Not the television, not the exact channel, but like just the, getting getting uh, channels off. I will the say, you know, it could, aerial. It could be, you know, by the time you listen to this, it could not be happening. But grit. Yeah, grit TV. Grit TV been playing Red Scorpion, The Punisher. They've been doing. I Dolph saw The Punisher. Yeah. <laughs> Staples. <laughs> like crazy. Yeah. And uh, otherwise, like. Just it's a great time for television in terms of like sleepover movies. Terminator, Terminator Two been on a lot lately. Yeah, and uh, like you said, we got Red Scorp, we got Lundgren happening over on yeah. Grit. I mean, and we're like getting... I would, the, this movie's going to pop up soon. I know, and, and a, probably a lot of other, a lot of a lot of other Norris movies as well. Um, they'll pop up, and like you know, you think the annals of Schwarzenegger still, and they made a shitload of movies, and Chuck really hasn't made that many movies. I mean, that are like prime. He gets. Into the 90s, he just starts doing stuff that is maybe directed video like anybody does at the time. And then he landed himself a sweet, you know, show that ran like eight or nine years. Yeah, Walker, Texas Ranger. You know, but uh, he's got some really clutch quintessential 80s movies that are prior to this one. Like The Missing in Actions. I think one's, you know, Eye for an Eye, I think is one. Uh, Good Guys Wear Black. Uh, there's another, The Octagon or whatever. And it's, it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's the one where like Christopher Lee shows up as a as a bad guy in it, so that's a lot of the days with uh, the mustacheless Chuck, as I like to call the yeah. era. You know, one of my favorites. You, go, you have mustacheless Chuck, then you have the mustache Chuck, and then you have the bearded Chuck. Yeah, but then but then you see also it's like it's like a werewolf cycle because mustacheless Chuck is blonde hair and he has like a bull haircut, and yeah, he's always yeah. like in those days. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Lone. I should mention Lone Wolf McClay. Lone Wolf McClay. Uh, McQuaid is probably one of his like top. That's with uh, what's his face in it too. Yeah. Um, uh, David, uh, who died from Kill Bill. David, uh, he's one of the brothers. Oh, Carradine. Yeah, David Carradine's the bad guy in Lone Wolf. From Kung, Kung Fu. Yeah, Kung Fu. Legend continues. He's the bad guy in uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid. But that's that's a, a a staple there. But you have so and he's always like playing a sheriff. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and then like you know he has to fuck some people up with roundhouses. <laughs> you know, and you know you think yeah. about. It's a very Chuck st- giving you a lot of standing tall type yeah. uh, you think about scenarios for Chuck, Chuck giving days. you like a, a roundhouse kick. That's one thing, but then Chuck's almost always wearing like a cowboy boot. So you think about <laughs> getting hit with a Chuck Norris roundhouse with a cowboy boot. You know, that's good point. that's that's good pretty point. intense. You know, so uh, you know, there's a lot of good. You know, so my point was that then then you know he he goes into the '80s and you said he gets a beer, but then he, he goes redhead and he's like a red hair. So I don't yeah. know where maybe he's just getting just, older. He had a lot of sun. Mullet. At some point, he started wearing a piece. Yeah, but he's, but he's doesn't look like he's wearing one in this movie. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because nowadays I don't know if he's wearing one now or what. But you just think uh, it's like I think about people like Schwarzenegger, Stallone, uh, these people who were such physical athletes in their prime, and just like how much of a toll that takes on your body, specifically like your joints and your yeah, knees yeah. and your shoulders. Like, you know, it's it must be hard as they're getting older to uh, to kind of maintain. And like like Stallone's still going; he's like close to seventy. And he looks great for his age aside from some of the plastic surgery but yeah. it's like that's hard to you know I mean I've heard like a lot of horror stories about Sloan having to have stuff from, you know like you know all, yeah, that's why he's actually taking that um it was it anabolic stuff or whatever it is he's taking the you know he got in trouble when he's coming back from Australia with it in his bag oh, and he yeah. went to trial and he's like I need to take it because uh, you know my age the doctors I need to be able to regrow you know, yeah. so it's uh, you just must think now of all the physicality like say Chuck being in karate and stuff nowadays, it must be really kind of painful for it, you know. Yeah, especially you got to worry about somebody, some asshole on the street trying to like freaking challenge you <laughs> to a fight, you know. Uh, I mean, this this man took on Bruce Lee, you know, and Bruce Lee took a 
chunk of his chest hair with him. I remember when uh, the late uh, Brandon Lee, I remember he was on a talk show for something. This is obviously before The Crow. Uh, and he was told this story about, you know, Chuck Norris and his dad, Bruce Lee, were, were really good friends. So Brandon and Chuck's son were friends. Yeah. They were around the same age. And they would be out and they would get in trouble and they'd be like, who are your parents? You know, they'd be mischievous little boys and they'd be like, who are your fathers? We're going to call them. And they'd be like, Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I mean that's that's a, you know how how crazy that is. You're hanging out with the, the Norse kid and the uh, and, and the Lee kid. Uh, yeah, and he's got family because his brother Aaron Norris, Chuck's brother, is a producer, and he produced this movie. And I think helped write it. And Chuck had a hand in writing this as well, yeah. this movie. And like we said, that they they were going to do a sequel, the Avenging uh, Avenging Time, I think it's called. And then the, um, the he didn't end up doing it, and they ended up casting uh, Avenging Force. I'm sorry, your your guy, Michael. Uh, Duncan Dudikoff, who is also, I, I was thinking about 1985, like we said at the top of the cast. I mean, like, we got to do an American Ninja, you know. Oh, there's so many. Cobra, Commando. Here's the thing, like, Rambo 2. We, we could just do action movies, easy. We could, it's like we could just do horror movies. It's like there's so much there's, to cover. There's so much. And we just recently had, I don't know if you saw, we just recently had a couple of requests come in. Uh, movies that I would love to do a Sean Astin double feature of, of Toy Soldiers and uh, I don't think I've ever seen White Toy Water Summer but Toy Soldiers is in this vein yeah like, you're right a bunch of terrorists drop Come down yeah. take over the private school in yeah, this they case have to, they have to, so it's almost what's that Patrick, Patrick Stewart movie where he's the bad guy and the, the, the kids take him down and they're on skateboards remember that movie Patrick Stewart yeah Patrick Stewart plays like a bad guy in a movie and uh, no, this is from like 2099 98 and uh, it's right around the time when he's in that Mel Gibson movie. We must find him. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah. What is that movie? Conspiracy uh, or something? Yeah, like that? which was a good one. And uh, uh, hey, you know it, that came into the year of terrorists because then with Die Hard dropping, well, that invented a genre for like 15 years. You had you know Die oh, Hard, Die on Hard, a boat, and everything. Die Hard on an airplane. Die Hard in a hockey stadium. I think we Die talk Hard. about that in a sidecast that will probably get posted at some point. Yeah, we should post that movie. too. An action movie thing. And. Uh, and this, it's interesting, yeah, like a lot of this relates back to, to the interview we did last week with Jurgensen. He was friends with Richard Lynch from The 7-Ups. And then uh, next week's part two of the Jurgensen thing, too, we'll get into his Hollywood career. He talked a lot about all this. Uh, it, just, it's a, it ends up being a small world. You don't realize how, like we're saying here, how many Saturday night movies sleep over uh, oh, we just, Hall of Famers. We just yeah, named a half I mean, a dozen. We, we just did like the Joseph Zito, Jay Chataway, Steve, uh, uh, Tom Savini, and you know, how they all work together and, in so many different you know, projects. And then you have, you know, I'm, I wish Joe Spinell would show up in this movie. Oh, God, you know? Spinell would be great you know, in this movie. Uh, you know, he could have been, Spinell could have been one of the FBI guys. Yeah, he could have been a sleazy <laughs> FBI guy. Or he could have been the guy that, that Norris goes to get info from at the club and then, you know. Like the whorehouse? He could yeah, have been yeah. that guy. That would have been a good. Uh, and then, he, you know, he, that's when he says, you know, Oh, uh, I'll see you in hell. You send me a postcard, you know. And uh, uh, I like as well in this movie that you do see people reloading, which is freaking awesome because a lot of times in the 80s, no one ever considers reloading a weapon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's got those cool, like we said already, those two little Uzis, which are so awesome that he has shoulder holstered. And uh, I like that he's so badass in a scene. Like, he walks into a club and some guy's giving him trouble, the bouncer maybe, and he's, the guy's holding the beer. Chuck breaks the beer bottle in the guy's <laughs> hand. <laughs> So awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, but you said you were going to come down on the movie a little bit. Well, I was just going to say that the, you know, that, that this has no plot. The movie. I mean, really, the plot is like it's, 
there's really no story going on. The fact that the girl has no purpose in this movie whatsoever. There's really no like any kind of like arc for Chuck. Yeah. There, you know, it's just there's a lot of things. Um, it would be cool if they developed the backstory between those two. It would be easy to. I guess my point was like I was I was preemptively in case I talked about these things more in depth that I didn't want it to seem like I was that I didn't like the movie because I did like this movie a lot and then we didn't end up going into any kind of like real negatives I mean it got like a 20 it has like a 27 on percent on like yeah. Rotten Tomatoes but what do you think that's so it's, for you think that's because I think it's because look- I think it's because it doesn't really like you, you know like you you said Chuck's great in this movie and I, I agree that like Chuck delivers these lines with a certain kind of charm that that works for this movie, but he is—he's really—he's a really stiff actor, um, and but you think? But you think people aren't giving it a fair shake? Do you think it's more like a, uh, you know, like like Commando? We're 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 already uh, you know admitting that Commando isn't the greatest movie in the world, but it's just. It's so bad, it's good, you know that kind of a thing. Or like, you know, would they say the same thing about? But a, I think a Cobra, or, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, I, I agree with you, but I also think that those movies have a stand. have more going for yeah. them than than this movie. And I wonder if that's like Commando. He's motivated. Yeah, his daughter. You know, there's like there's it's just just like a better narrative structure. And I wonder if it's because that it's... I think critics look at. You know what I mean? Not, it's not that's not something that like fans would be like. He's not motivated properly. <laughs> no, I don't but like you know, I art. think it's something that like critics do take note of, and they look for that kind of stuff. And I think that's why this movie probably doesn't get the kind of recognition on a on a sheer like visceral, like we said with like the the set pieces that are totally memorable and obviously very scarring for you as a child. Like on a complete like visceral like level, like I think this movie works. Yeah, hands down, no problem. Um, it's when you start looking at it from like a more of like an analytical, you know, dramatic structure and how you know comparing it to like how a movie should work, it doesn't really follow through on those things, which I don't think is a negative. Do you think it has something to do with because it's a canon movie that a lot of this? I think because I mean? you could, look at we we keep throwing it up to say a Commando or Cobra, and those were big budget proper Hollywood I think that movies. has a lot to do with it. I mean, canon at the time, uh, as they were starting to become big, they had like a reputation. And I think that having the canon logo in front of something would set up, you know, set you up for failure almost to a certain extent in, in critics' eyes. Um, like they talk about like, there's a great documentary about canon film called Electric Boogaloo. The uh, I guess take it for obviously take it from the breaking sequel, but the the documentary um, called the Electric Boogaloo: The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films came out last year, and it kind of talks a lot about this. and And I would totally check it out if you're interested in these kinds of things. But I think you're right. I think Canon kind of set was set up for failure in a certain extent, and uh, and that, I mean that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, great movie. I think it's. Completely recommended for us. Uh, check it out. Uh, how many sleepover sto- score stars? I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it three. A three out of five uh, buckets of pizza on Sweet. my end. I yeah, enjoyed it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to three three point five to maybe four. I guess because of just the 
the uh, value of me being, you know, the <laughs> reminiscing of how much it scarred me. Yeah, I mean, certainly you're a little more nostalgic for it than I am, and for Chuck in general. Yeah. But, uh, I think it's solid. I, it's, pre, it's, it's like great sleepover material. So sure. please check us out on Facebook on I uh geez, we're everywhere, aren't we? iTunes, Stitcher, uh, yeah, uh, Twitter, Bay, uh, Player FM. We're all over. Saturday night movie sleepovers, we're at SaturdaySleepovers.podwits.com. Check out please the um, uh, the site itself because we have a lot of extras we post along with the stuff, a lot of uh, you know, exclusives. Check us out there. Uh, Merry Christmas. The Christmas season yeah, is going we're and in the uh, midst of the winter sea of the and we'll have another, <laughs> yeah, we have another great Christmas movie in two weeks. So uh, take care and uh, Merry Christmas. Later. Later.